For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And I remember interrupting an interview yesterday to uh, uh, call out a guard a statement that there had been a serious accident between the Shannon Park roundabout and the turnoff for Raffine and makes all the morning papers today. Transporter and three cars involved. Shock, uh, utter shock in the Carrigaline area after an elderly couple from the area died in a multi-vehicle collision on the N28 yesterday. Another person also brought to hospital following the major incident near the Shannon Park roundabout in Carrigaline. The collision involved a car transporter and three vehicles and occurred at approximately 11am and prompted a massive multi-agency response. Front page of the Echo, front page of the Examiner, crash dead, devoted to each other, uh, they say, and uh, JP and Berna Allen died less than one kilometre from their home in Carrigaline. The driver of the truck, according to the examiner, uh, tried to take evasive action, but the collision could not be avoided. His articulated vehicle then jackknifed and flipped over onto its side, sending some of the vehicles from its trailer careering across the road and debris flying through the air. The truck's cab came to a rest lying in a ditch on one side of the road, while the trailer came to rest blocking the entire road, as you'll have seen on TV news and in the morning papers if you've picked them up so far. The alarm was raised by an off-duty member of the Naval Service, which is headquartered, of course, at Holbolan, a few kilometres to the east, uh, who came upon the scene and who informed the emergency services of the scale and seriousness of the accident. There were scenes of devastation across the crash site as emergency service workers, including Gardaí, firefighters from the Cork County Fire Service uh, at Carrigaline and Crosshaven, and a fleet of up to five ambulances arrived within minutes. Mr. Allen had died almost instantly. Mrs. Allen was alive when emergency services arrived, but despite their best efforts to save her, she died at the scene a short time later. The driver of a second car, which was struck during the collision, was taken by ambulance to Cork University Hospital for treatment for serious but non-life-threatening industry uh, injuries. And the uh, driver of the transporter uh, and the driver of the third car, which was also involved in the collision, were both medically assessed at the scene but did not require hospital treatment for their physical injuries, though I'm sure they must have been in severe shock. Pair, pair beaten during second attack at House in several days is the ominous story also uh, in the Examiner today. Gardaí at Inishmore Square in Ballancolig uh, are pictured where two people were attacked by a gang, one of whom may have been armed with a machete in the early hours of yesterday morning. Owen English reporting in the Examiner that a house in Cork City where two people were beaten by a gang, one of whom may have been armed with a machete, had been uh, the subject of an attack days earlier. Gardaí are trying to establish of both incidents at the address in the uh, Inishmore housing estate in Ballancolig in the western suburbs of Cork City are connected. They're hoping the victims of yesterday's savage attack, a man in his 60s and a woman in her mid-30s, who are known to each other, will be able to shed light on a possible motive. You can read that in the examiner. Another end of summer tragedy uh, detailed as well with the loss of uh, two uh, beautiful young boys, truly devastating uh, is the description. Top students they were and uh, studying for their A-levels and uh, Friends Drown in Lake Horror uh, is the headline in today's Sun newspaper. Pals stopped just to cool off. Two teenagers drowned in a horrific end of summer tragedy after a heroic battle to reach the shoreline of a small lock in uh, County Derry. 16-year-old Reuven Simon, Joseph Sebastian and their four pals stopped off to cool down while out on their bikes on Monday evening. One of the boys who entered from the jetty at Lock Aina 
Uh, just outside Derry got into difficulty. Two others raced to his aid. A motorist was flagged down and emergency services were called. One of the schoolboys who attempted the rescue, uh, a cousin of one of the deceased, made it back to shore and was treated at Artnagelvin Hospital. Another pulled from the water alive at 6.30pm. He was too rushed to hospital, but sadly died hours later in a search involving the police helicopter and other agencies continued uh, until midnight for the missing teenager last seen around five metres from the jetty. Sadly, his body was recovered by police divers using sonar equipment at the lock off the Temple Road in Strathfoyle. Mikhail Gorbachev making all of the papers today. Uh, the examiner have the last Soviet leader. Uh, Gorbachev dies at 91. And uh, Jim Hines reporting there that Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the last leader of the Soviet Union, waged a losing battle to salvage a crumbling empire, but produced extraordinary reforms that led to the end of the Cold War has died at 91, according to Russian media. He's pictured with uh, late President Ronald Reagan during their meeting in Reykjavik in Iceland in 1986. Ex-Soviet leader Gorbachev dies, says the star uh, ended Cold War and caused fall of Iron Curtain. Uh, earlier this summer, it was reported how he was on dialysis for a serious kidney ailment after suffering repeating and uh, worsening health issues. And uh, Lots of pictures there in the star as well this morning. The Mirror's front page has electric shock. The cost of living crisis rears its uh, head again. A cafe owner hit with almost a €10,000 bill for just one month. A cafe owner has told of her shock at getting a €9,836 electricity bill for just over a month's usage. Horrified businesswoman Geraldine Dolan from Athlone said, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I thought maybe the decimal point is in the wrong place. It comes as Environment Minister Eamon Ryan has pledged a package to tackle energy uh, poverty. Uh, The owner of this small cafe was left reeling, uh, left shocked, I suppose, but pardon the pun. Geraldine Dolan has been running the Poppy Fields Cafe in Athlone, County Westmeath for the past 16 years. And the business owner revealed she did a double take after initially receiving the invoice believed to be uh, a mistake. Uh, This is, uh, that would be €123 a day for electricity. I got one of the staff here to look at it too and I thought maybe the decimal point was in the wrong place but she revealed her electricity supplier was Spanish provider Iberdrola uh, until they pulled out in Ireland in June. To prevent a disruption to her electricity supply her account has switched automatically to Electric Ireland. The supplier used when a provider leaves the market at short notice. This mean Geraldine, uh, meant Geraldine lost her switching discount uh, she received and once she was transferred she was charged the standard unit rate by Electric Ireland. This is going to be a PR nightmare for them unless they sort it out. Uh, otherwise, I guess the cafe will close. Uh, boozers facing poor blackout. Bars may be forced to shut for good over soaring bills. And I hope to get to this later in the programme. Uh, but if you pick up a copy of today's Daily Star, you'll see there uh, Keith Faulkner uh, reporting that struggling pubs and cafes have warned that Ireland is facing a winter blackout due to skyrocketing electricity bills. Industry experts say many will be forced to close over the coming months as energy prices continue to spiral out of control. And Environment Minister Eamon Ryan yesterday told an Oireachtas committee that a new plan to combat energy poverty will be published shortly after September's budget. The mortgage squeezes on for over 55s, says the Mail's front page today. Rural dwellers are also at risk of falling behind on their payments amid rising rates and spiralling inflation. 
warns the central bank, the over 55 and uh, householders living in rural areas most at risk of suffering mortgage debt. A double financial blow of rising mortgage rates and spiralling inflation is putting thousands at risk of being on the breadline with a greater squeeze on disposable income. Maybe we'll come back to that a little later on as well. Uh, the independent younger staff to pay €2,500 extra in taxes so people can retire at 66. This is a strange one. Younger workers face paying an extra two and a half grand a year in taxes so that older people can retire at 66. The state's budget watchdog warned today. The true cost of keeping the pension age down amid an aging population is laid bare by the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. It said people now in their 20s, 30s and 40s will foot the bill for Ireland's growing number of retirees, which is estimated to rise by 50% by 2040. The unions uh, say the pay offer is the best we can get. Both sides agreed on a 6.8% wage rise though this is over two years. A public sector pay deal could be close after unions describe the government's offer as the best that can be achieved but so, so far below the rate of inflation. Back to the independent man evicted from elderly housing unit over late night video games and guests. A tenant who stayed up late playing video games was evicted from an elderly housing complex after breaching rules regarding overnight visitors. The landlord company argued that the rule was not draconian and was determined by its insurance policy and the directors of the company initially thought the tenant was too young to move into the the accommodation with the average age of residence is 75. But it agreed to rent to the tenant after being contacted by St. Vincent de Paul and a local councillor who was concerned about the appalling conditions he was previously living in. You can check that out in the Irish Independent today. Just a few more before we get to the phone lines. Calls to overhaul system over delays. Irish Daily Mirror reporting that thousands of learner drivers could be waiting for more than six months to sit their tests, prompting calls for an overhaul of the not-fit-for-purpose regime. I've called it not-fit-for-purpose on this programme before. Backlogs that built up in recent years were drastically reduced before the pandemic, but waiting lists have soared again. Fans must deal with a no-phone Irish show. Bob Dylan is to bring his Rough and Rowdy Ways tour to Dublin for an appearance at the Three Arena. The concert will take place on November 7th. Tickets going on sale from tomorrow at 9am. But Dylan's Dublin gig will be a phone-free show where concertgoers will lock their phone in a pouch on entering the concert space and unlock it when they leave. Rock Royal Dylan is widely regarded as one of the greatest songwriters of all time. He's been a major figure in popular culture during a career spanning more than 60 years, sold over 125 million records and uh, also has numerous awards, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, 10 Grammys, a Golden Globe and an Academy Award. Uh, Tickets will go on sale if you can suffer uh, being away from your phone for two hours or two and a half, uh, then uh, you can do that. Now, one final one, the prenup divvies out household chores. A law firm has created a prenuptial agreement which allows couples to decide who will do what household chores after they're married? The cleanup prenup allows couples to choose what tasks, roles and responsibilities they'll do after saying I do and will ensure chores are split equally. To encourage newlyweds to stick to the rules, they must mark off completed tasks on a weekly rota. And the couple's top 10 gripes are listed. Leaving lights on around the house annoys 32% of couples. Leaving the toilet seat up uh, annoys 28%. Not putting dishes away, 27%. Uh, Starting but not completing the housework 
annoys 24% of partners. Whose turn it is to clean the floor uh, annoys 21% of partners. Not squeegeeing the shower screen after showering, 17%. Leaving dirty clothes on the floor, 16%. Dropping crumbs in the bed, uh, 15%. Not dusting properly, 15%. And not making the bed uh, is quite low, actually, uh, at annoying 14% of uh, those surveyed. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Now, Alan Moore is holding on our WhatsApp line. He's an international director of the National University of Science and Technology. That's M-I-S-I-S in Moscow. Good morning to you, Alan. I think there might be a little delay, but can you hear me? I I can hear you loud and clear, uh, Mick, and I'm just, uh, you know, thank you very much for the call. And um, hello to everyone back home in beautiful Cork. Okay. Uh, you're from Dundalk originally, though, but you're living in Moscow for the past number of years. And you've been living with uh, international students, including uh, Ukrainians, since the onset of the war. You also ne- lived near the border during the Crimean conflict in 2014. What brought you to Russia and how is life there now? Um, well, I'm actually I'm originally from Dublin, but I'd uh, hurled and lived and worked up in Dundalk as well. And um, you're right; it's it's the University of Massis, so we we've, we're in the very very slap bang in the centre of Moscow. And um, uh, well, what brought me to Moscow was work. Uh, so work brought me up initially, and I was kind of back and forward between um, Russia and or sorry, Russia and Croatia. Um, for a couple of years before sort of f- finally committing uh, after a year out in Malta to uh, Rush in, in 2010. Uh, I was initially working with sports and with media um, and I'm still working with sports and media but now um, uh, full-time in, in uh, higher education. Okay, and life in Russia for a European such as yourself with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, is it is it as normal in the Russian capital? <laughs> Nick, you know, it is and it isn't. Um, you know, you would have grown up the same as myself and many of uh, your, your listeners that we, we we react normally to abnormal situations. For example, we grew up listening to you know, radio or reading a newspaper about, um, you know, the conflict in Northern Ireland and bombs going off and punch and beatings and so on. And we kind of go, OK, that was just background noise. And unfortunately, that's what Ukraine has been for the last eight years and as you mentioned, I was living down on the border in Voronezh and I saw, um, you know, the best and worst of what was going on at the time as well. The best being really brilliant human, you know, kind of humanity being showed by Russians and Ukrainians to each other. And then the worst was just basically people just killing each other. And at the moment in Moscow, it's basically, you know, life goes on and even though nobody thinks that the the war is so far away that it has no relevance it it's just kind of that here people have heard about it um since 2014 so it's not as big a shock as it would be say for people in Ireland to hear about oh it's you know, Russia's just gone into Ukraine it's been there for a long time and you know so pe- people have become I would say immune to it, but that's that's really incorrect as well. Mm. But life is as it is, and we're just trying to, you know, make the best of it as, as much as we can. Yeah. So the annexation of Crimea has been fed to the Russian public to, via the media as a sort of an ongoing attempt to possibly rebuild the Soviet Union. Would that be correct? Um, even more than that, I'd say, Mick. I, a lot of it would have been down to that. Uh, P- P- Russians have very, very close connections, obviously, with Crimea from the Soviet Union. Everyone 
people do and especially the I'd say the academic class and then young kids because young kids would have been sent down to Crimea to kids camps you know kind of I guess it would be kind of a, a, a children's version of Butlins for us um, and they would have been down there for their summer so they would have very very fond and close associations and academics were sent down there um, especially because of the good weather, the good climate, um, to relax after their long work in laboratories and you know nuclear power plants and so on. So when it happened, if initially, of course, when Gorbachev was in power, um, he there was a, a, a referendum in Crimea that they wanted to go with Russia, but they blocked it and said, "No, no, you stay with Ukraine." And since that, for you know, 30 odd years or yeah, 30 years. It's, it's been this festering wound and it still is. It's, 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 ne- I don't believe it'll ever heal. Mm. Of course, we're, we brought you on to talk about Mikhail Gorbachev and his passing, uh, but it would be remiss of me not, 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 not to chat to you about sanctions. How are the sanctions of course. Uh, affecting life in, 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 in Moscow itself and in Russia in general? What sort of effects are they having? Uh, we no longer have Murphy's. Um, we used to be able to get cans of Murphy's here, and that's just dried up. And I mean, that I'm, I'm using that as, as a joking aside, but it, it that it's a sort of a serious thing for uh, a lot of people here. Just sort of the home comforts. Of course, we've been out without cheese and butter from Ireland since uh, 2014, when Russia did counter sanctions. Which you know, again, that was for me it was ridiculous in, in every sense um, the difficulties over travel uh, are huge for example uh, I'll get home with my, my young lad on, in October for his birthday and my sister's birthday and we'll, we'll have to I, we have a, our options are this um, that we either go for around 20 hours by bus to Riga and fly home or we fly to Kaliningrad and then by bus to Gdansk and fly home. Either way, basically, you've got a day's journey. Um, so that's one of the big issues of sanctions. And of course, transferring money, I found it with international students, has been an absolute collapse because a lot of these kids, um, we have been helping them out of our own pockets because uh, they can't get money, say, for example, from African countries. Um, U- European uh, kids who are here studying with us, they can't get money in. Um, and then, of course, the fear of falling out of favour um, with with the US and being absolutely destroyed. Universities uh, have basically you know stopped cooperation, even though um, it's you know th- th- we we still sort of like talk on any level. But in terms of exchange of knowledge or exchange of students or professors, it's stopped. And for me, in my line of business, has been the worst. And of course, in sports, um, you know, sports has been heavily hit, but not as badly as I thought it would be. Yeah, uh, there's been an informal meeting this week of the uh, respective uh, foreign affairs ministers in Europe to, once again, informally discuss the option of maybe banning travel for, for Russians in, uh, into Europe. Now, I know a lot of Russians are going to Estonia and flying in on the, on the Schengen visa or whatever, in the Schengen zone. Uh, that's kind of a two-edged sword, though, isn't it? Because if Russians travel, they'll get the unsanitized version of what's happening in the Ukraine, uh, more so than they will if they're not allowed to travel. Do you know what? That's 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 a great way to look at it, and it's a very difficult um, situation that they all find themselves in. Because here, for example, we would see with our you know heat and light and um, electricity bills and wife, like you know internet and telephone bills, um, have risen slightly, but in line with normal inflation. Uh, and then we Russians know from Russians who are living abroad, uh, for example, in Ireland or in the UK, how 
they've been absolutely devastated by their electricity bills. But what they don't, a lot of the people here, would, when they see it, say, for example, in the state media here, they say, oh, that's just propaganda from the Russian media. But if they go there and see it, then it'll be a different situation. And, you know, also as well, I think, in many ways, like with uh, football, when UEFA banned Russian clubs, no, sorry, they didn't ban them. They just said they would you know, kind of go hiatus and the Russian national team. You still there? As, Oh, yeah, um, just dropped out there for a second. Yeah, sorry. I, sorry, Neil, sorry. I was saying, with, with the UEFA banning or, or sort of like suspending Russian clubs and national teams, um, it was a good thing because we all know that there are a lot of, let's just say, less than adequate people who would want to make a statement at a match either against Russia or for Russia, and that would just really make things even mm. worse and put a lot of players and people at risk. However, um, I don't know. I think, you know, stopping handing out visas... Um, uh, you know, it, it, for me personally, I think it's an unnecessary, um, it would be an unnecessary escalation. And also it, it sort of go, it would turn the EU into the former Soviet Union. And this is the, this is something that, you know, the wall should not go back up because yeah. it's, it's gone, you know, well over, over 30 years now. And it, it, if it comes back up, I don't think it will go down for a long, long time because yeah. Russia is quite happy continuing to go eastwards. Okay, now the invasion of Ukraine must, I'm, I'm assuming, and you can confirm for me, uh, must be sanitized in the Russian media as a noble endeavor. And uh, Vladimir Putin is very reticent to call it a war. Uh, and we believe there's tens of thousands of Russian soldiers already uh, having lost their lives. Uh, rumors are coming out of Russia now that it's very hard for Vladimir Putin's army to supplement the numbers they need without offering uh, almost mercenary-style money or going in and uh, offering people, maybe former soldiers, quick release from jail. Um, how long can this continue? I don't know. I think the quick release from jail was, was the one that it was happening or has happened and continues to happen in Ukraine, in Russia. I No, I mean, not, there haven't even been rumors of that. Um, I know that the guys who were jailed by the Ukrainians for crimes against fellow Ukrainians in Donbass, they were all, I think, Tornado Brigade, they were all let out of prison. Um, but it's not sanitized here. I mean, it's very, very straightforward. They have been reporting regularly the death counts. I think we, we cannot believe um, anything that we see. You know, when we, when, you know, from one side, uh, I, I like to cover, to look at all the different uh, sources and then try to work out some sort of minimum or sort of, sorry, middle ground, I should say, uh, uh, because it's very, very difficult because, you know, we see that, uh, you know, when Vladimir Zelensky, who, a man who I spoke with personally three years ago, when he is saying, like, we're going to retake everything, retake everything, and then throwing people, like, further in and getting, you know, young guys, we saw the young guy from Ireland over, you know, you know almost losing his life in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems senseless. And more and more people here, um, you know, the, the longer it has gone on, the less interested people are, you know, the less effect anything is having. And I think that the chance to really, um, from the very, very start, I think, especially the online assault and in media as well, when, you know, Russians, like Russians have continued to be kind of, um, you know, given black marks and sort of like ostracized from, well, we would say this decent society, um, that has been very, very difficult then to promote any change within Russia. Because so are, are the sanctions 
uh, how can I phrase it, are the sanctions making people more aware that things are a little more serious than they might be being told by the media? No, no, I think it's, uh, I think the, there has been a hardening, I should say, um, or I could say, of attitudes in terms of um, supporting what is going on. Um, for example, just a few days ago, I was in uh, a town of Noginsk, where they've been resettling um, people who were injured in uh, Donbass. And I spoke with two of the men, we've it was part for part of, like just by chance we were at a registration office and I spoke with them and uh, they said that they, you know they they were just simply working and unfortunately were caught in an explosion they don't know which side fired the rocket but it was during combat um, uh, three years ago and they were working on the railway they both lost an arm each and you know for, for them they just wanted to end and everyone wants it to end how it'll end we don't know because I know that it's repeated over and over. Now it could be simple I can't say propaganda, maybe just like kind of a soundbite mm-hmm. that Russia is willing to negotiate. Russia yeah. wants to negotiate. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it doesn't seem from like when you when you read uh, international media, uh, there's absolutely no willingness to negotiate. And I think that that's kind of bothering Russians. So of course the Russian government are gonna you know, play on that, say, oh, we're willing to talk, but look at what, like, you know, read what's in the Guardian, mm-hmm. that they, they want to nuke Russia and so on. So it's kind of a, a deteriorating situation and until they actually sit down and speak. And both sides only going possibly looking at a long and entrenched winter coming up. That's it. And I mean, anyone who's been here in this part of the world, um, Ukraine usually has a slightly better winter than Russia, but it still makes it very, very difficult. And you know, pouring in weapons into the city. Like, I mean, and it's both sides are, are, are getting, they're pouring in weapons and it only makes it worse, you know. And um, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, I, I had huge hopes for Vladimir Zelensky when he came in. And now I'm not sure if he if he's capable of taking the foot off the gas Um because unfortunately so many people who are surrounding him are going to make it worse. But we're, hopefully, hopefully they will come to terms um, before winter sets in because I think that's that's when people will start to freeze and uh, that is just not something that anyone wants. You mm. know, n- nobody wants that. I've already been accused of uh, feeding propaganda about <laughs> both Ukraine and being pro-Ukraine. Propaganda going both ways, I suppose. Uh, the texture telling me it's time to Listen, make you... If you don't have an opinion on something and you're not prepared to listen to an opinion on, on it from somebody else, you don't have to agree with them, but you can take it on board and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, like, like life in Russia got a lot worse after 2014. Um, there was a little blossom. My mom said, like, oh, after 2018, people loved Russia. But we remember the build-up to the World Cup and the stuff being written and the stuff being said. It, it was a little, let's just say, blip on a, on a darker road. And unfortunately, um, Russia has done itself no favours and um, continues to do itself no favours. And, and, but at the same time, you know, if we can talk and be honest about it, you know, we just had to look up at Northern Ireland where when people began to talk, then things got better. Okay. Um, just one final question before we move on to uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, the issue surrounding the Russian ambassador here, I'm trying to remember his name, is it Yuri Filatov? 
he was he was almost, yes, yeah, yeah. he was almost like chemical alley in his flat denial the day before uh Russian forces crossed into Ukraine. No 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 we've no intention of you know this this kind of yeah. thing. And there were calls for his <laughs> credentials to be removed and for uh for him to be expelled back to Russia. Did that did that sort of carry on reach any Irish expats living over in Russia? Oh, of course it is. I mean, this is the, I remember watching that and I was the same. I, I, I was looking at, I thought the maximum I said it actually in, in an interview um, and, and sort of on, on, a, on a broadcast as well a few days before uh, on, on our own, like, and, and I just said, the worst thing that's going to happen is that Russia sends peacekeepers into Donbass and they stop killing each other. And that's, and, and that's exactly, because I knew that both sides were building up. You know, Ukrainians had moved a, 50,000 troops down to the border with Crimea, and I was like, okay, they're they're sort of it's grandstanding. They're going to calm down and pull back, and then things will calm. They will just calm. Um, everybody was the same because again, the, <laughs> the 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 top people in the army are not going to tell their ambassador in Ireland or me in the international office in in the university to say tomorrow we're going to go in. And I made a joke about it, and I said that the, it would start in the early hours of the morning, but not the 24th, the 25th, because on the 24th, Zenit were playing the second leg of, uh, of um, I think it was a Euro- uh, Europa League or Champions League match. And I said, if they lose, Putin is just going to say, what the hell, there's nothing left to live. There's nothing left to I, I think the, enjoy uh, in the spring. You know? the, the Winter Olympics in China as well was going on, and Russia were doing particularly well. I, 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 I kind yeah. of meant, uh, was there any reciprocation on the Russian side, or did any Irish um, no. diplomatic service no. applications... Uh, as far as I know, that they're they're all still being approved, and we have diplomatic representation in Russia. Yes, okay, we do. I make it was one of the things that I remember trying to t- tell tell people because I heard people and even elected officials in Ireland saying, "Expel him, expel him." And one of the people who said it, I know him very well for many many years since in Croatia, and I wrote to him privately and said, "Would you please stop this rhetoric?" Because remember. There are a lot of Irish people living here, a lot of Irish yeah. kids or kids with Irish passports who are living here. I remember we Danny Healy Ray being particularly vocal on it. Alan, could, could you hold Hi, for two yeah. minutes? I'm going to take a quick break and sure come back to you on sure Michael Gorbachev. Thank you. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And we're still with Alan Moore, the International Director of the National University of Science and Technology in Moscow. Uh, Russia, kind of your adopted country, Alan. We're getting a lot of texts. Very, very polarized, actually. Some accusing me of being very pro-Ukrainian and you of being very pro-Russian. Um, and one, one, one asking you if you could condemn Putin's invasion of a sovereign nation. Oh goodness! Yeah, there we go. I mean, it's 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 a situation where if you turn around and you know talk about something, uh, you know, two people have different opinions. It, it's a bad thing. Whereas when we sort of, um, I don't know, it's a very strange one, Mick. And you know, it, it, ultimately, ultimately, I think it's 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 where we are, where kind of hot takes and sort of like online shouting matches just don't resolve anything and unfortunately you know it's 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 pushed more and more people towards vladimir putin um and towards the sort of the nationalist mm, side of russia um even people who would be ethnically not russian if that makes sense okay i'm not going to push you any more on that because i imagine how difficult it would be uh, for someone in your position where you're actually at uh, to make that com- uh, condemnation live on it. Let's move on because time doesn't allow me an- any more uh, on that and I don't want to put you in a precarious position. Now, Mikhail Gorbachev, credited with ending the Cold War without bloodshed, uh, but also 
um, not credited, I suppose, in, in Russian eyes. He failed to prevent the collapse of the Soviet Union. He died at 91 yesterday. He was the last Soviet president forging arms reductions uh, deals with the U.S., partnerships with the Western powers. How is his passing being noted or how is it being reported in, uh, in Moscow in particular? I say it's the same as with any passing leader, you know, um, kind of with a little bit of gravitas and a little bit of, um, you know, politeness. And they point out the good, good and bad, like more the good than the bad. Um, not really digging into it too much. Um, but of course, we've had, you know, Vladimir Putin making statements. So it's, it's a huge loss because they were they were close, even though he would have pulled Putin up on different things, you know, Putin still would respect would respect his views, um, especially his international um, viewpoints, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a real, it's tough because the media, of course, will, I won't say sanitize, but they'll be polite about it. But um, I, I, I polled uh, colleagues today and I asked them, seven of them, I uh, said, oh, like, what do you think of his passing the whole lot? And, this, and they were like, well, you know, it's not right to f- speak ill of the dead. And mm. that's what people are saying. Now, a few days ago, if I'd asked him, because I you know, spoke, like, you know, I would have gone, I'm saying myself like that, Gorbachev was a great man and a hero kind of thing. And uh, even though it did bother me in, in 89 when uh, Ireland was kind of just like a, you know, kind of an aircraft carrier for, for, for the USSR, he didn't actually tour anywhere like at the time when, when, when he flew in it was a bit strange but yeah. I would have always held him in high regard and met him, met the man twice first time I didn't really knew, know who he was it was only after the fact I said oh that's you know, Mihail Gorbachev and the second time three years ago fine she'll cancel a little chat and it was like Lech Valesa Valesa from Poland from the Lech Valesa sorry yeah, yeah. yeah from former, the former Polish, Polish president, president. Gdansk, shipyard exactly. worker Exactly. And the former president of West Germany, uh, Christian Wolff, we met together and nice, polite man, um, damned in Russia. Uh, and I think a lot of it goes down to how they, they would see he sold out to the West. Um, many people in Ireland would, wouldn't remember. I, I would say none of your listeners would remember that he, he did a, 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 pro, a, a commercial for Pizza Hut. And I remember that. We look, yeah, and we look back and it's like, oh my God, how did he think that this could go down well? But it wasn't for, let's just say, American or Russian consumption. It wasn't shown in Russia. Mm, yeah. Um, but let's be but fair, it, he, he, was, he was widely despised and hated uh, in his home country by, he, by Russians who resented the loss of their superpower status uh, and, and for a while at least, a plunge in living standards. And, and then I suppose oh, well, I mean, after that, the westernization yeah. of services and products like your McDonald's and things coming in. Well, McDonald's, no, McDonald's was in a long time before. and um, But I think he, it wasn't so much of loss of, let's just say, empire. You know, we, we, we see that over in the UK with the loss of empire and they're not happy with it. But with, with Russia, I think it was more the fact that um, he got out very, very quickly and gave them to Yeltsin. If it was someone else other than Yeltsin, if he had stayed on. Now, I mean, nobody wanted him to stay on. Like, you know, he, he, there was a coup in 91. Um, they really wanted him out because he he wouldn't have let happen what Yeltsin let happen. At least that's what most people say. And for that, he's damned. The same way as many people would damn Yeltsin for letting Putin in. So it was kind of... So the, he, when you view it through that kind of prism, that it was a fact that, you know, he, uh, he, he set in chain the fact that people were, you know, dying on the streets in 98 and 99... Um, 
that people lost their life savings that that is very very fresh like you speak with people who were like who were starting university in 98 for example uh in moscow and they just came up and they literally were living off you know a few cents per day they had absolutely nothing you know they had one pair of clothes because basically everything collapsed so it was he's damned um I believe unfairly so, because one of his greatest legacies has now been kind of pushed aside is the International University of Moscow, which he set up in 91 with uh, the George Bush, Bush the first HW. Um, and that had a great potential legacy. And it didn't offer a lot of good, you know, kept exchanges going between the States and, and Russia and students going back and forth. And, and it kept up a dialogue uh, that he viewed as ultra important. And one of the last kind of things he said uh, I think December last year was that he was unhappy with how the relationship between the US and Russia had continued to develop. I know he's very critical of Trump. He is very critical of Putin at times. But at the same time, personally, I think he did a huge amount of good. But the people who came in right after him, who, who uh, let's just say took advantage of the opportunities that he was presenting, we're not the people you want to be taking advantage of such opportunities. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I suppose his international detente, I think they call it perestroika at the time, uh, that fueled aspirations yeah. for autonomy uh, in the 15 or 15 or 16, 15 um, republics of the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union essentially disintegrated over the next two years. Is, is there a sense that that's what Vladimir Putin is trying to repair now? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's... it's, it's um, Nobody knows what nobody knows what you or I are doing, or what Vladimir Putin's doing, let alone him. So we we it's very unsure, and in in many ways, it setting in, in trained this kind of like nationalist element in the main kind of countries. Uh, for example, well, not for the, the three main kind of bloc countries of Russia, um, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine, where nationalist elements then looked at the sort of the former. Central Asian states like Tajikistan, um, Kyrgyzstan and so on, that they would look at them as something lower, which in the Soviet Union, they, they never were. They were kind of seen as equal partners. Um, that continued then when you look up to north, well, uh, northwest of Russia to the Baltic states where they again look to say, well, all Russians and so on are, are lower. So there's this kind of like gradation system of how you would view people. And Putin doesn't see the world quite like that. If you look at his top table with the ministers are very diverse like male female and different ethnic groups is he, maybe maybe because there's huge um immigration into russia from the the central asian states and from ukraine as well i mean huge immigration from from both sides of the void um this you know th- this has it's a problem that won't be solved and alan if, 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 if the ussr if the ussr was such a great idea how come none of the former republics are queuing up to rejoin well, some of them have looked rejoined, like Kyrgyzstan and so on. Uh, but then again, you know, when you have people who are at the top um, and they have their bit of power, they're quite happy, for example, like the different Central Asian states, getting handouts from Russia. Um, they're happy to, to keep it there. But also, I think it's Russia in itself is huge. It's too big. Alan, I'm, I'm way over time. It, it, I, I, just, I just want to play this little clip. Uh, I'm not trying to lighten yeah. the moment of the man's passing, but here's his pizza, <laughs> a little bit of his Pizza Hut commercial. Oh, okay.
Это Горбачев. Это из-за него у нас в экономике бардак. It was clear that former enemies had found common ground. Mr. General Secretary, though my pronunciation may give you difficulty, the maxim is dovayai no provayai. Trust but verify. <laughs> That's old Dutch himself, Ronald Reagan. Uh, very quickly and finally, Alan, how, how will Mikhail Gorbachev be remembered? Um, the same as any other leader. You know, uh, mixed. You know, Ronald Reagan is is, is like kind of a, a devil or a hero for many. Gorbachev would be the same. I think with the passing of time, um, I think that people will start to appreciate him a little bit more. Um, it's very difficult. And Almost I mean, like Michael the, the, Collins in that respect. Well, listen, we saw that Michael Collins, where you know he's been claimed by all different political parties, and that he was like a, a, a you know, kind of he he loved. You know, capitalism and free markets, like a buccaneering kind of ideas. I mean, the, the one with the, the, the funny bit, <laughs> I guess, translated slightly for, from Russian, is that in the, the pizza commercial, he said, like, oh, he's given the, the three people speaking that he's given us, um, you know, opportunities. And then the father says, oh, he's given us like economic collapse. And then the mother governor says, well, he's given us a chance to go to Pizza Hut. And then the father stands up and says, yes, that's right. Like, you know, hail Gorbachev. <laughs> He's you given know, us pizza. I, uh, I have to leave it there, Alan. Thank you very much, Alan Moore, in, in Russia, and continued success. You. Uh, and uh, enjoy yourself when you come home for that birthday, will you? I will. Thank you very Cheers, much. Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Four minutes to 10 o'clock on this Wednesday morning. If you want to phone the program, 0818 104 or text uh, SMS or WhatsApp is 0868104106. To some of our texts, uh, please get this Russian collaborator off the radio. Can you ask him if he will condemn once again? Ask him again if he'll condemn. Uh, Putin's invasion of a sovereign nation. Another texture says he won't condemn Russia. He can get him off the air because he can't condemn Russia. And uh, another texture said the Russian ambassador Yuri Filatov should have been kicked out of this country when this started. And uh, the Irish people don't want him here. Uh, some other texts that came into the program uh, on the housing issue we've covered during the week. Getting rid of bedsits was a huge mistake especially for single men. Uh, if we had bedsits now, we wouldn't have half of the trouble we have with accommodation, so says Frank. On gas prices, uh, the reason the price is falling on UK gas is the TTF gas in the Netherlands and US gas uh, is that the uh, countries have all built up reserves of gas for the winter. The price of gas has doubled since March, but the price on wholesale markets will fall drastically in the next few months. Countries have built up reserves, but lower price gas will not be passed on to customers. Energy companies will gouge and have huge profits. It's all about supply and demand. There's plenty of supply from reserves with high demand. If we have a mild winter, prices will collapse, but it will not be passed on to the customer. On the subject of weather, the talk is that Europe is experiencing a drought not seen for 500 years. We're told that today it's all our own fault due to man-made global warning, buncombe, etc. But no science that we can follow will tell us what caused the drying five centuries ago. Could it have been the fault of a simple seasonal weather change, perhaps? Of course it was, then as it is now says uh, Robert Sullivan. Uh, the lines are open 086 8104 and by text on 086 
8104106. And we've news coming up at 10 o'clock next with Lana O'Connor. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national, and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Seven and a half minutes past ten. Uh, good morning from the Neil Brinderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Uh, Cork reality star Nicole O'Brien has spoken out after enduring a horrifying stalking incident in her London home. The Too Hot to Handle contestant said she was stalked by fans who snapped pictures of her after luring her out onto her apartment balcony while she was in pyjamas. And she joins us on line one. Good morning, Nicole. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? You haven't lost the Cork I'm accent good. anyway. I haven't. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do you mean when you said you were lured out onto your balcony in your pyjamas? Oh God, so there was incidents, one in particular where there was loads of flashing lights on my balcony. So I, it went on for about an hour. So I was thinking, oh my God, is there like police or ambulance outside? What's going on? Went outside in my little skimpy pyjamas and I couldn't see anything. And then I just sent all these photos then of me out on my balcony in my Instagram DMs. And I'm thinking, what the hell is that? So I don't know how people found out where I live, which is really weird because I don't post it anywhere. But yeah, so I'm a bit concerned now. <laughs> so flashing lights on the balcony lured you out, but this was going on for about 40 minutes, I believe, was it? Yeah, literally 40 minutes to an hour. Like it went on for ages. And I was thinking, what is that? So I was like really curious, went outside, couldn't see anything. So it was obviously someone with a torch from their car or like behind a bush or whatever, just trying to get my attention. And then I come outside in my pyjamas, hun bun on top of my head. And then I get sent all these photos and I'm just like, what the hell? So scary. Because I'm very private about, you know, where I live and what I do and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, just a bit baffled, really. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the, the photos weren't salacious or anything. I mean, you're, you're entitled to go on your balcony in your pyjamas. Yeah, 100%, but it's just a bit mad because now I feel like where I live, it's like I just feel like I'm being watched sometimes, which is not ideal because obviously people now know exactly what apartment I live in and and all that jazz. So, yeah, it's a bit weird, very weird. And has there been any, has there been any incidents of stalking or any direct contact with you? Well, see, this is the thing now with me when I've learned recently to not tag where I am when I'm out sometimes because or else I'll tag it when I leave the venue. So I've had people come to me in a restaurant or in a bar if I tag it when I'm there and literally hop next to me and just sit down and have a drink and say, oh, hey, I just seen that you were here on your Instagram. Do you mind if I join you? And I'll be there with friends and I'll be like, eh. It's a bit weird, but I'll never be rude and be like, no, you have to leave. I'll be like, yeah, I'll just have a drink with you, whatever. But it's it's gotten to the point now where it's just a bit bizarre. So I've learned to like not tag my location until I leave the venue now. Um, it happened actually quite a lot in Dubai when I went to Dubai, which is strange. <laughs> so how, how did it happen in Dubai then? What, did, somebody was following you or you just tagged too soon where you were and people yeah. come along, is it? Yeah, so what I would do when I was in Dubai, I worked with like um, a lot of restaurants and stuff um, on collab base, their adverts and stuff like that. 
myself and one of the girls from Do Off to Handle, like we would tag where we were and do content for the venue. Uh-huh. And then these people would constantly like show up to where we were. They would literally hop down next to us, sit down next to us. And it would happen quite a lot. So I feel like it's just showing me that social media, everyone watches your every move. So like you have to be so careful of where you tag, what you do, like, um, yeah, it's just a bit, it's a bit strange. And I feel like, although I've been doing this for so many years, you know, you don't really get used to that when people just rock up um, and sit next to you at a restaurant saying that they've seen it on social media. I want to have a chat with you. <laughs> okay, so, but are you ostensibly giving them an open invitation by tagging where you are too soon? I feel like I am, 100%. Um, although it shouldn't be an open invitation, but realistically it is. So I've learned my lesson to just not tag until I leave the venue Um and yeah, because it does get a bit weird and then you just get, you know, a few weirdos messaging you different things. But I think the the most, no, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say traumatizing, but the most weirdest thing was, you know, people finding out where I lived through um, my stories and stuff. Maybe the background, I probably had a certain pub in the background or, you know, they just figured it all out. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm good at stalking. I can figure out, you know different things but these people are next level sometimes <laughs> is that actually the price of fame Nicole the fame you so you know everyone who uh, wants to be famous craves the fame and, and a lot of people can't handle the uh, you know what comes with it really is the is the public attention and the intrusions yeah like you wouldn't really think because I used to be very naive to it and you would think uh, people probably don't care that much like it's fine but it is you don't have privacy anymore and especially being out and whatever like there is no privacy even like in London there are a lot of paths and stuff and like they'll be very sneaky when you're coming out of bars you can't be too drunk things like that and because obviously things can get put in the press but there is no there's no privacy anymore and which isn't ideal but I mean, it comes with the territory. I'm not going to, you know, stand here and be like, oh, like, it's just so annoying. I hate it. Like, obviously, it's not ideal. But I have gotten myself in this situation and I did know that this is the price you have to pay with it. Yeah. Do you think Instagram and other social media outlets do enough to protect people like yourself from people finding out your personal details? Mm, I think sometimes... It's not necessarily Instagram's fault. I mean, as I said there, I could just be doing a story and, you know, at home and people can see that there's and the name of the pub next door to me is, you know, in the background of the story. And it's people like who are, you know, wanting to find me can easily find me. Sometimes it's my own fault. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's just learning to be careful about what you post and how you post it. Um, because, yeah, people can get quite obsessive. Um, and not the right people. <laughs> Do you ever think of moving location then? Do you feel safe in your home now? Do you know what? There's a lot of security in my home. There is. But I would like to move. I think... I've, I've been here for like two and a half years now and I do get these weird messages every so often. So I am thinking of moving to, you know, another area in London, to be quite honest, and getting my own place because I live with another girl who's also on reality TV. She was just on Love Island. So, um, you know, there's two of us in it at the moment with eyes on us. Uh, is she being followed yeah. as well or is she being tagged like this? 
Yeah, she would be. Yeah, she'd be tagged, you know, every so often. But it's obviously because she's fresh out of Love Island as well. There's a lot of eyes on her too. So when there's two of us in the flat together, um, and you know, then we have like a mail room downstairs, and obviously with the mail, it's like our names are on it. And I've got things stolen quite a lot over the past. Wow, never thought of that actually. Yeah, your name's on the postbox. Yeah, so yeah, we've got like a shared mail room with everyone in the apartment block. So. Things have gone missing over the past few months, like different packages and stuff. And yeah, it's just getting a bit weird now. So I am definitely thinking of moving. Okay, you're breaking into the music industry. New summer tune coming out called C'est la vie. Uh, that was a hit for Irish band before. It's not the same song, obviously, but the same title, Bewitched, wasn't it? Yeah, Bewitched. Is it yeah, the same song? No, 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 not the same song. Very different. It's got a garage beat to it. So it's very different. So kind of a pop dance <laughs> single, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pop dance. And are you in a relationship, if I'm not prying? Is it, the real question, I suppose, is is it possible to maintain a steady relationship under the, you know, under the glare of living kind of in a fishbowl? Um, I'm currently very much single. I have had, like, situationships and relationships over the past, like, two years, but they've been incredibly toxic and not great for me. And I was going through a really tough time with a few of them. Um, over the past few years and that's actually why I wrote Say La Vie because it's quite an empowering anthem for you to find your confidence to step away you know from these type of people and these people were you know other industry professionals because obviously I'm going out to these events and they're the kind of people I'm meeting so it ends up being other people in the industry um, and you know you would think that that would work you know two people in the industry similar interests but it really doesn't so <laughs> Sailor B is just, you know, my anthem for finding your confidence and feeling empowered and, you know, stepping away from those kind of relationships. Yeah, you said recently you were done with men. Maybe you're looking in the wrong place, are you? No, I'm, I'm done with the type of men that I date, yes. I go for the bad boys. I don't know why. So I need to get back home to Ireland, back home to West Cork, like, and find myself... Someone who's not in the industry in London. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the wrong fellas. Yeah, we had uh, one of the big heartthrobs of the world here yesterday. Orlando Bloom was in town uh, with, uh, with with Katy Perry. Came in on the Norwegian liner and had coffee and cork and it's all over the social media and the papers as well. Uh, yeah. So you say you have a housemate fresh from Love Island. Would you consider doing that yourself? So Love Island don't take people, you know, who've already done other TV shows. Oh, okay. But I am done with dating shows like reality TV unless it's something like you know Dancing with the Stars Dancing on Ice or something like that yeah I'll consider it but like dating shows you can't do you know reality TV like that and music it just doesn't work and music is always what I've wanted to do that's the sole reason I did Too Off to Handle was to get a platform to release my music so now that I'm doing that I'm happy out and yeah <laughs> All right, so where, where do you go from here on the social media side? Are you going to uh, protect yourself a little more? Yes, definitely protect myself a little bit more, be a bit more careful of what I post when I'm out, especially after a few drinks. <laughs> and when are, you come, when are you coming back to Cork for a visit? Oh, I'm going to come back, I think, in two weeks' time because I haven't been back in three months. So I'm excited to come back home. <laughs> All right, Nicole, best of luck. Uh, don't be lured onto the balcony again. I think you're getting wise as you go along. Uh, maybe not Maybe not tag your location too soon until you leave. Uh, but lovely to talk to you and continued success in your music and TV career. Thanks, Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye.
Thanks, bye-bye. Now, let's get to some texts uh, before we go to a break on energy. They want us to buy electric cars. Now they're on about blackouts. And the way things are going, you need a mortgage to charge it. The government are clowns. Drive the production of diesel and petrol cars. I don't know what that means. Drive down, I suppose, the production of diesel and petrol cars. They can't predict the weather next week. How can they predict the effects of what's going to happen with climate change? Hi, Mick. I'm currently awaiting a bill from Electric Ireland since Iberdrola switched its customers over automatically. I contacted the energy regulator and they said we had to stay with them until September 1st at the standard rate. No choice to move, so we were forced to pay double the rate we were on. Uh, they said it was uh, so there was no instability in the market, how can how there can be instability by letting people switch to another company of their choosing? It makes no sense. Of course, we had the uh, that uh, cafe with nearly a ten grand bill for one month. But back to the text: easy pickings for Electric Ireland. Our gas was switched to Board Gash, and they rang within weeks to advise of a discounted rate available to us. Electric Ireland should be forced to discount all Iberdrola customer uh, due bills now. That wasn't the case, and we'll follow that story uh, of the almost 10 grand bill for that cafe. And very polarised text, of course, uh, very pro-Alan, very uh, anti-Alan. The uh, Alan Moore we spoke to about Russia in general, uh, conditions in Moscow, and the passing of Mikhail Gorbachev. Please get this Russian collaborator off the radio. Uh, once again, can you ask him to condemn Putin's invasion of a sovereign nation? Uh, I make it's cute that you'd imply that the West is receiving an unsanitized version of what's happening in Ukraine through Western media. As soon as Russia invaded, the West shut down all Russian media broadcasts. Uh, we're receiving all of our news on this subject from Ukraine, who are internationally regarded as one of the most corrupt countries in the world, and perhaps a tad biased. The same people who now publicly proclaim their support for the besieged people of Ukraine didn't give a hoot about those same people for the past eight years. But I guess that's the power of the media, says Richie and Toker. He won't condemn Russia, get him off the air. Uh, So that's a no to condemning this invasion. Funny how he makes the comparison to the North, uh, but does not see the hypocrisy. 21 minutes past 10. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. 10.24 businesses are looking at running the heating on low over winter. Others closing perhaps the business a few days a week with the heating and electric switched off. And Sean McCarthy joins me in line two. Good morning, Sean. Morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. You're the owner of Patty the Farmers, Soho and Tequila Jacks, correct? That's correct for my friends. Okay. (laughs) And a secretary of the VFI as well. Uh, I was in Tequila Jackson Friday night, actually. Buzzing it was. Is that very much. That's normal. Yeah, no- unfortunate. Unfortunately, we can run a business being busy two days a week. Yeah, so that's, that's, the way, that's the way trade is at the moment, you know. Yeah, so the continuing energy crisis has you considering, of course, all costs. And, and what's that looking like? A possible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday closure or something like that? Absolutely, Mick. We're looking at every, we're considering everything at the moment. Um, and that's probably one of the big ones is that um, not just for us, but for all members in the VFI, we have loads of people uh, contacting us saying that they're they're not. It's not practical for them to stay open on the Tuesday, Wednesday nights when they're lock making because footfall isn't around the city. I had one member telling me uh, that last Thursday night he opened at four o'clock and his first two customers walked in the door at ten past ten. And wow! Look, anyone in business today, and that's a city centre bar. Anyone in business today knows um, it's a fool that would open to lose money, you know. So a dark, unfortunately, it's, we're staring at a lot of dark hospitality businesses around the city early week. 
um, because we can't afford to open when we're when we're when we're loss making. You know. Okay, so you've had the double whammy actually of not being legally allowed to open during the pandemic and now not being able to open because of the energy cost crisis. Yeah, and I suppose we would have fixed our energy make uh, uh, pricing um, up for periods of time uh, down through the last couple of years. But even our broker in January contacted us and said that no energy provider would allow fixed pricing um, and that we had to go variable. So no, we can't budget because it's out of our control and we're just getting notified on bi-weekly, monthly basis of costs going up and up and up. And um, it's just crazy. We don't know where it's going to end. Um, like, um, do you have dark buildings around the city? Um, do you not open um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday work? Everybody is considering different ways and trying to be proactive to stay alive and stay trading, you know? Yeah, of course, the, the three venues you own are substantial venues. They're not little family bars. Paddy the Farmers, Soho and Tequila Jacks uh, all are based on a food offering. And the food offering, of course, is very labour-intensive too. Absolutely. And I suppose there's, there's a staff crisis in our business and a staff shortage, and especially which when it comes to chefs. Um, and we've been pleading with the government to uh, come up with ideas and incentives to get people in the trade um, and get courses back going in MTU again um, and to um, support those courses because, um, like... We, we, what we find as well, if we go to be closing the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, or anyone in our trade, we have people dependent on us that have either mortgages, they have rent, they have um, cost of living to pay for, and they're going to be substantially hitting their pocket as well. So it's not just us trying to keep our business alive, it's there's other people directly that we employ, which is about 150 people, that are going to be affected as well. And I'm speaking here on behalf of the, all our members, not just myself, you know. Okay, of course, the secret to running a profitable bar is to carry the unprofitable hours yourself. And that really now focuses in on the smaller family bars, where if the family are taking a wage, a weekly wage, uh, then they can cover those quiet hours themselves and not employ staff. Not an option at your size of operation. Absolutely not, because I suppose in our operation, um, there's a lot of work that has to be done behind the scenes, just from the point of view of operations-wise. So we, we can't work. We're already, my, my business partner works six days a week. We're doing 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, and we have families, and you need family time as well. So I, I give you an indication. I spoke to one publican yesterday, and we were organizing a VFI fundraising event, and I asked him to buy some tickets for a barbecue next week in Tequila Jacks. And he said to me, Sean, I can't go. My father runs the bar um, by day, and I run it by night. We have left all the rest of our staff go because we cannot afford costs uh, running the business anymore so he said if my father's on I'm off if I'm on uh, if I'm yeah. on my father's off he said that's the way it's gone even in the smaller premises okay with your VFI hat on and your secretary there what's the future uh, for Ireland of the welcomes with the you know, ever decreasing uh, number of uh, licensed premises open to welcome and accommodate tourists I, I put this right now um, I predicted probably late last year, early this year, there's going to be carnage in our industry again towards the end of this year if the government don't do come up with some sort of a support bullet payment for to help us with regards to our in, the rising energy costs. And it's just not energy, it's food costs. Like burger, my burger costs have almost doubled, but I can't charge, I can't double my price of a burger from 16 euro to 32 you know, um, it's just, uh, that's only one instance. Um, so, like, I, I suppose in our industry, 
there's 384 pubs that closed in Cork since 2006. Um, we've gone from 12, uh, over 1,200 bars down to 900, just over 900. And I envisage the way things are going that that's going to escalate again in the next 6 to 12 months if we don't get some sort of support or there's, that there's some bit of stability in um, energy and um, produce costs uh, rising because it's just every day we'll be notified of price increases, not alone energy. And look, it's, it's a tip, it's a, it, we're, we're at the edge of tipping scales now that it's got to tip over the edge and there'll be closures throughout the city and county in the next six to 12 months. And it's sad to see because we're known for our hospitality, we're known for the thousand welcomes, we're known for the great crack, the Irish music, the fun, and there's no fun in our business at the moment. Okay, so you're, you're kind of looking like you're a nightclub now. You'll, you'll only open on the on the Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, you know, nightclubs is essentially years ago never opened Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, some on Thursdays. Yeah, I don't even want to sound completely negative now, Rick, but even the nightclub business, because I suppose getting people in and out of the city, and I don't want to paint it in a bad way, taxis haven't come back to the full, full extinct either, and people have, since during COVID, have got into a certain lifestyle and a certain habit of living, and we see even in Soho, which is a late bar, people starting to leave from 12 o'clock on because they want to be guaranteed to spend home because there are less taxis on the, on the street. That's a huge and problem in Dublin, by the way. I, I know it's a problem yeah. in Cork. It's a much, much bigger problem in Dublin. Yeah, I was in Dublin two weeks ago myself and I went up with that mentality. Uh, I was um, conscious of getting out of the city centre by 12 o'clock so I could get uh, with my, my wife and my daughter that we could get back to a hotel safely and make sure we got a taxi when we walked around the street. And that's just the mentality that's out there at the moment throughout the country. Yeah, we put uh, a post up on our Facebook uh, social last night. Uh, 25 euro for a pint. That's how much a pint of Guinness would cost if it rose as much as the gas prices have over the past year. Wholesale gas prices risen by 500% in the last year. A Cork TD saying elderly people will die this winter because of the obscene price increases. And the price of European gas has fallen yesterday by 3.5%. Uh, so why are we all still paying so much to heat our homes? Well, what do you see the outlook as a business person for you now? Uh, are, are you, you obviously take each of your venues in, in, in separate and singularity. Uh, or are you going to make a, a group decision to to cut your hours, thereby cutting your staff and their earn, you know their earnings? Uh, it's really going to have a knock on effect, and as you say, 160 people. Yeah, um, well, we look at every business, every one of our business on a standalone basis because they trade. They're busy at different times of the of the, of the week and um, busy times of the day, whether it's day or night. Um, but we will, we will, we are, and we're seriously looking at. I suppose we have. From now to Christmas, there's a little bit of positivity as in, I suppose, we have the Jazz Weekend coming up and co- the only people really out spend the beginning to spend some money again are the corporates because they've been restrained over the COVID all along. But definitely for when January, February, March comes next year, our business model will, will probably change dramatically to exactly what you said. Close for different days, close for different periods of the week um, and just being open for the profitable times just to try and stay alive, to pay our wages, pay our utilities, and pay our loans. I know of a very reputable and well-known gastro pub uh, in, uh, let's say, just in in Cork. I won't mention City or County. And uh, you know, even though they have a fantastic menu and a huge food offering, are often now having to close of a day. They're open seven days, often having to close at four four thirty uh, because they just can't get the kitchen 
uh, expertise, uh, I mean, in chefing. Uh, and that's starting to become a huge problem. I mentioned before, Sean and Kinsale, uh, a lot of the business people I spoke to in Kinsale are saying it's Airbnb is having an adverse effect on their ability to house their staff. Uh, one uh, local hotel group apparently renting out a hostel now uh, so that their hospitality staff can have somewhere to live and have a job in the hospitality capital of Ireland. Where's this all going? Yeah, I, I don't know where it's going to stop, Mick. Everybody is trying to think outside the box. I know people, especially in the hotel trade, that are actually renting out complete houses um, and housing their staff there. Other hotels, um, I'm just on with the hotels now because I'm aware of it, are uh, actually allocating X amount of rooms in their hotels so that they actually can get enough staff uh, to open. And, you know, and yeah. that's exactly, I don't know where it's going, Mick. It is seriously worrying for us in the trade. Um, there isn't a day go by that we're not talking about it, thinking about it, and concerned about us, our families, our staff and their families, and mm-hmm. saying, where is it going? Because we can't be trading at a loss because um, that won't, that's, uh, you know, that's not a runner long term, you know. What, what about an energy subvention from the government? Let's say if you're, you know, uh, bar A employs 10 staff, you employ 160 staff, uh, you get a pro rata subvention to keep, help keep them in jobs and help keep the doors open energy-wise. Absolutely. We, we will be lobbying and we are lobbying at the moment to have some sort of payment, um, support payment there because this is real. This isn't us putting our hand out again for more um, payments. This is very real and there isn't a day go by that I don't get a phone call from members or meet someone in the streets in the city and the first thing to me is energy costs and the ability to pay the bills this week. Mm. That's scary to think people are going to bed at night and the first thing they think of, they're waking during the night and the first thing they think of in the morning when they get up is, can I pay my bills today? And we need the government to step in very quickly um, because not alone is there a business issue here, there's a mental health issue as well for the people that are under this pressure. I suppose people would be envious of your turnover on that aforementioned jazz weekend, uh, but that's one weekend and three months pre-Christmas. You're going to have a lot of very quiet nights as well, as you know, as people go back to kids go back to school, and uh, the summer ends. Uh, you're looking at some very bleak nights, I'd say. Absolutely, uh, we welcome the jazz. It's fantastic for our business. It's fantastic for the city, and it's like people when they come into my premises when they're socialising on a Saturday night and they see it full. I'd say to them, I'll meet you on a Monday night and you can play a game of hurling up and down um, inside in the, in the main bar because we have half a dozen, maybe 10 customers in. So you divide, you, you divide that across the turnover at the weekend across for seven days and, you know, it, it's not much. So do you think people will stay in their rural or, you know, suburban villages and their local pubs, family pubs, uh, at the, to the detriment of the, of the city pubs now? Absolutely. Uh, I see it happening in my own uh, location in Ballinhastic. Uh, since COVID has opened up, yes, our, our the bars are a little bit busier because um, it's a novelty again to be around the local community, but also the cost factor of going out, cost factor of transport in and out of town. Um, it's a problem and it's a worry and people are just just watching. We see that the lifestyle of people have changed completely. Uh, Mick, people go out before, we get a babysitter, they'd come in before dining with us, they'd have two drinks downstairs, they go up at the meal, come back down, have cocktails, get a taxi home. Now, husband or wife drives in, they arrive the time the meal is there, one of them isn't drinking, they have the food, they go home, uh, let the babysitter go, 
and the wife or the husband opens a bottle of beer or a glass of wine at home and they have saved on transport and they've saved on baby costs and they've saved on spending and other Yeah, I suppose... So lifestyle, that change completely. Yeah, the customers as well as the uh, the bar operations are all looking at the bottom line these days. Absolutely. Yeah. And the bottom line for a lot of weeks, make is red. The figure is red. So we're trying to come up... Our business at the moment, especially in the bigger bars, and I say in all bars, is event-driven. Westlife, fantastic... But then you suffer because employers don't give um, employees extra money to go out. So they spend more on these weekends and then it's quieter the following weekend or quite the week before. You know, so everything is either corporate now or event driven and we're all chasing the same business. Yeah. Which the pie is getting smaller and smaller, you know. Okay. Well will you keep in touch with uh, any plans you have for Paddy the Farmers, Soho and Tequila Jacks? I imagine Paddy the Farmers has a good old local day trade and solid evening trade on the drink side, yeah? Uh, absolutely, it's a fantastic little bar, um, well run by my nephew, Mighty McCarthy, obviously, I have to mention him, but um, no, it's fantastic, great food, and it's, you have a right mixture of people from the hospital across the road, to corporate people, to our local and our neighbours coming in, and you know, it's just, look, at my age, it suits me perfect, it's my style of bar, I go in and you have a great laugh, it's like cheers, everybody knows your name, and you have a bit of fun over there, you know. Alright, so it's, it's a tough game, it was, it was a... You know, people, when we were growing up, aspire to owning a bar. It was seen as like a license to print money. Those days are gone, though. I um, I have three of them now, Mick, and if you have the, if you have the bank accounts <laughs> healthy enough, give me a shout. <laughs> Sean McCarthy, thanks very much. Can I, can I say one thing, Mick, if you don't mind? Sure. Um, if I to be remiss of me, because in our GA job on a separate note, we're walking to Tipperary this week, trip to Tip or a fantastic GA. I'm just going out the door to do my leg today. We're walking from Landwork to Bellyland, those 27 kilometres, but I just want to wish everybody that has been doing it and that has supported us the very best. And it's been, you know, it's a fundraiser for building new club rooms in our, um, in our GA, which is badly wanted. Um, but I just want to get that across. No problem, Sean. We wish covered it, we covered it in stuff. detail yesterday at the end of the programme, but no, no problem getting a second mention on it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks Emil. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Let's go to line three and to uh, Mick Moriarty, the Baldy Barber. Hi, Mick. Hello, Mike, how are you? Okay, how are you guys getting on? Yeah, we're not too bad, you know, but uh, not looking forward to the winter. Uh, a lot of our business now are talking, and in the ladies here, as well, Irish, uh, are talking about um, closing Monday and Tuesday. Well, I won't be closing Monday and Tuesday. I'll be open my six days, keep my shop open six days a week. I'm lucky I own the premises. But uh, a lot of now are going to only open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I think they're going to do an extra hour Wednesday, Thursday and Friday to try and make up for uh, being closed on those two days. Okay, because when they're, of course, they're not making any money when they're closed, but there's no cost being incurred either. Is energy a huge thing in barbering? I know you have all the electric it is. shavers it is. and trimmers and things. It is, and uh, you have to have the heating as well, because if you have a person, if the place is cold, uh, the, the, the hairdresser or the barber, they can't uh, keep their hands warm. And that wouldn't be a nice thing, putting a, a cold hand on a person's head, you know. Yeah. And what what about you would, be, you? You would be able to use uh, your your fingers properly. You know? Yeah. Of you course, know? publicans and, and VFI members like Sean can't go into a black market yeah. illicitly selling booze, but there are plenty of people no, no. in your industry who are doing Perfect haircuts time. from their own house and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was talked to a person there recently that had a big garage, and I was shocked that they, they brought in a barber every couple of weeks to give the the staff haircuts. I was so disgusted, and I said, if I knew it in time, I would have put a picket on the, on the, on the, on the garage. 
It's a, 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 a garage that was selling cars. They brought in a fond barber and a 25 euro haircut. Absolutely well, shocking. Yeah, but not, you know, trying to, trying to look at both sides, I suppose a garage selling cars, their salespeople have to be presentable and that could be seen as a almost like a yes, close allowance. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, we're going to keep your hair in decent trim. I was sitting all outside in the coffee pot three weeks ago, Michael, with my friend Christy Loney, the ex-tire man. And his son's two scafflers were working here in Blackpool and they asked me, did I do any hair cutting? I said, no, it's a thousand euro fine. But I said, plus the fact, I got nothing off the government because I'm an old age pensioner. And what? they were able to tell me, these two, two scafflers were able to tell me that they could go into a house every couple of weeks and there'd be ten inside in the house in the middle of COVID, 20 euro haircut being done. Like, I mean, we're being screwed left, right and centre. Left, right and centre. I didn't do anything and my staff didn't do anything either. Thank God. Yeah, you probably got the yeah. government assistance while you were off, did you? Well, they did. They did. Mm. I got nothing. I got nothing. Because I'm over age. How, how is and business I, in general? Electricity costs aside, how, how is the, the long-standing, fair, loyal customer fair. base that you've built up? Fair. Fair. It's only fair, that's all. A lot yeah. of them haven't come back. I saw a man coming to the door yesterday, and I said he definitely didn't get a haircut. For, well, we were busy, thank God, yesterday evening. And uh, he said he'll call back this morning because it was five or six in the shop. And uh, he definitely didn't get a haircut for over a year and a half since COVID. Wow. You know, and that, that'll tell you. And then you have people who are cutting their own hair as well. And I have nothing, I have nothing wrong with that. I prefer to see a person cutting their own hair, Michael, than a black market. And the black market is rampant. And the revenue are doing nothing about it. And they know it themselves. And you said they're at the garage, right? They'd be, they'd be presentable. The same I see it in television, RTE, Dollar TV3. They're all got their hair cuts. They're all being done by someone. Yeah, well, they, yeah. they, you know, they, they'd have probably a barber and makeup and that kind of thing. They have a makeup artist. Well, they, they surely they, have they, a they, hairstylist they, and barbers. Not necessary. Not necessary. Makeup artists, yes, yes. They would nearly bring in a hairdresser to do the job. Makeup so, artists would be completely different, you know. Okay, so you're a traditional barber. Is there a future? Yeah. For, is there a future for that? Uh, and would well, you? you, you, a, you lot of, a lot of the young people who have got into the trade. It's amazing all all the um, the the, school, the the barbering schools and the, the and and some of them are very very good. Some of the young people, but the one thing I say about it, Michael. Like, there's no traditional uh, apprenticeship anymore. It's being brought in now shortly by the government that there will be an apprenticeship so that they won't have to go away and pay 1400 or 1500 every two months to a, a school uh, for training. So they will go into a shop and they'll be trained over two or three years. Okay, and that's you, a great thing to go forward. You have a predominantly male clientele, I imagine, Mick, have you? Pardon? Predominantly male clientele as a barber? Oh, all male. All male. Yeah, all male. I, I, closed down, I closed down my lady section for years. Years and years ago. Couldn't make money out of it. And I, I, I have five employed and myself. So I have two girls and, uh, and there's four men here. And we were open six days a week and we keep going. But it hasn't come back to our last ten years ago. Like, I mean, it, it has... A lot of people have died off as well, Michael. Mm-hmm. You know? So we can't do... But all of that, we stay up. We'll be 90 years in business... In uh, two two or two seven, so I'll be seventy four now next week, and I'll keep going as long as I can. Yeah, I've, I've been talking to you on the radio for over thirty years, and uh, you've got great spirit, Mick. <laughs> how, how long? How long do you think you'll keep working until another year or two or something? I'd, I'd, I'd like curl up. 
<laughs> I have no intention of retiring. Curl up and die, isn't isn't that uh, the, the, the well, name I, of I, one I, of the hairdressers? Yeah, I I, I start I start laughing because people, my my friend said to me, "Why don't you pack up?" I said, "I can't live on two hundred fifty three all a week." My wife, my 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 wife and myself are still alive, thank God. Right, that's five hundred and fifty six. But if one of us die, out five hundred six. If one of us die, like you're only, you're only saving the cost of uh, food and your health insurance. Because no one can survive in this country in 253 or a week. No one. I don't have a private pension. And I'm not, I'm not being looking for sympathy. I enjoy my work. I enjoy meeting my people. And I'll stay, I'll stay working as long as I can. And yeah. I have very, very loyal people. Customers are great. And my staff are great. I have to say that. All right. I've done, a good, I've, done, I've done a good colony with me. 23 years with me. Great young fella. In fairness, like, and I, I had a few operations and they looked after me. So I'm not going to close the door on these people. Mm-hmm. I'll keep it going as long as I can. But it's the energy cost that's really putting the pin to the collar. Well, it is, it is. But we, I, I tell us that we, we, we were talking about how could you cut back in some of the spots and things like that in the shop. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we, we'll keep going. Okay. We'll keep the prices the same. We won't be putting up the prices renting. All right, We've done Mike. it last year and that's it. You know? Thanks, Mick. Baldy Barber, Blackpool, deserves your support. Bye. Thanks a million. Uh, on that Facebook post last night, of course, uh, 25 euros for a pint of Guinness, what it would be if it was aligned to the gas price rises. Uh, some of your comments, they'll force us back into an Ireland where three generations live in one house due to the cost of owning and running a home. Another commenter says, too much money has been made by the government and the utility companies, so there's no incentive for the government to do anything to stop it. Uh, it's called Tax the Island of Ireland, this is another uh, and another says it's the same reason Ireland has the highest mortgage rates in the EU. We consistently have poor leaders who are more interested in keeping up with the rules and sanctions the EU impose than in looking after their own. They won't care if elderly people die anymore, if they lay on trolleys for days on end in busy hospital cor- corridors. No respect anymore for the Irish citizen, elderly, sick, vulnerable or disabled people. It's a disgrace what's going on in this country. Uh, an absolute disgrace. It's a cartel between them all, says another texter, and it's the customers at the end of it will be the ones suffering. And there are hundreds and hundreds of comments on that Facebook post last night. Huge corporations laughing at us. Their profits are soaring while people go cold and hungry. Shame on the government for allowing this to happen. The windfall tax is required now. Uh, and there are some of the comments. I suppose the windfall tax is uh, probably one of the factors in why everyone is rushing to get their prices up. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. 10 to 11, we're talking to various elements and uh, various genres of Cork industry and services uh, over the rising energy costs. And Kerry O'Neill is the owner of Fitzpatrick's Fine Food Store in Downsall. Good morning again, Kerry. Good morning. How are you? Very good. We had a very long and engaging conversation the last time. And we'll get back to it maybe at the end of this interview okay. about, about the cycle lane and the, the parking. Uh, you were fortunate enough to lock in your rates last May. Yeah, so um, we we have a company that come to us, you know, obviously they go out to market, see what are the most um, competitive at the time. And I don't know why, I, I think it was because we were in the middle of the new build and I kind of needed a bit of security to know, well, look, this is what you're going to be paying every unit. Because obviously our shop building has doubled in size since, you know, 2020, essentially. So uh, we locked in and I was on a great rate. I was on like 18.6 cent for one of them anyway. I just remember that. And this April, she came back to me and the best they could find me was 42 cents a unit. Wow. So that's per kilowatt hour. Yeah. So our bill has gone now from six and a half thousand a month to 14,000 a month. And that's just electric. We also have gas. Okay. 
Yeah. And what's the gas price rise been? Um, honestly, that hasn't been as significant, um, and we 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 don't use as much of it. We have some of our appliances on, um, and ovens, obviously. But these are not things like I, I I know, for example, from listening. There's various things, obviously, that businesses can do, and we certainly have tried. If, obviously, in this new business, we've all LED lighting, which should help with our bill. We also have done like um, lights that will come on on and off on sensors, so that they're not left on in rooms, which is helpful. But but like we can't turn off ovens, you know, early in the day. We have freezers and fridges because we're dealing with so much fresh food. Um, you, you can't really do anything about the running cost of them. You just, you know, they have to operate. Um, and unfortunately, that's like that's a cost that no customer sees. As in, there's no end value to a customer like that. If they buy a chocolate eclair today, um, you know, it's now costing us much more to make it. Um, or an apple tart would be a would be a very good one because the price of all the other commodities like butter has gone absolutely crazy as well. Um, but it's everything. I, I've never seen the increases, you know, kind of in a full 360, you know. Um, so the energy costs, though, have been really significant for us. And we've kind of held things at the moment since this changed in June. But really, we're going into September now. We're going to have to see where we're at. So, you know, we don't obviously want to turn off some lights in our shop and things like that. But like that actually might be what it will come to, which is you know, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy because you're balancing, you know, leaving people see everything that they need to buy and making sure it's safe for people to wander around, but also looking at the cost of things operating. So, look, I mean, we can look at things internally a lot, um, but, you know, that cost is obviously massive. Yeah, but surely lighting is a very small percentage if you're running ovens and freezers. Yeah, the lighting is small. The ovens are the biggest thing. So, like, we'd have, for example, loads of people love our breakfast rolls here. We have two Turbo Chef ovens. They run, we cook breakfast to order, but they run on three-phase power. So, um, and that's two ovens downstairs, and then we have one that cooks all the bread. So, there's three ovens downstairs. There's one in our kitchen, one main one, and then there's two the six decks and two Blodgett ovens which cook all our lovely brown bread um, and they're all so the cost of those and then we've got two freezers on site now as well and we've got three cold rooms um, so yeah obviously it's a much different scale than our old shop and we knew that was going to be a, a jump initially but obviously we hadn't thought about all of these increases of what was happening you know um, but I have heard like some people saying oh look this is all because you know not that it's all but some of this is the war is contributing to this big time uh, the provider that went out to price for us she's able to tell me that last October their electricity suppliers were teeing them up at that point I think she told me there had been 32 increases since I locked my price last year Wow, 32 increases in 12 months and they were telling like, you this before there was any invasion of Ukraine Oh, yeah. They were telling them that. That's what I found really interesting. They were telling them that last October, November, before there was anything going on in the Ukraine. So it begs the question, you know, obviously, I know it's hard to judge because there's so much going on at the moment between post-COVID things, Brexit things, then the, the war in the Ukraine. So it's, I think it's extremely difficult to pinpoint, you know, um, any one cause for this. But like the, I mean, the electricity is one part of it. I've never seen increases like, uh, like I have in the last eight months, for example, of flour, brown flour. 
which for me, you know, that goes into bread. It's brown bread. It's it's nothing fancy. Mm. <laughs> it's a staple, you know. But like, um, and butter. I mean, the and people I know see that themselves when they go out. And you know, in case any of them wondering, like we 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 buy twenty five kg boxes of butter. Um, I used to buy those. It's all for the bakery. I used to buy those for a hundred and seventy five euro. The best price I can get on that right now from the same supplier is two hundred and sixty-eight. Wow, that's a almost a hundred euro increase. What what about the uh, access to the shop? Uh, I know there was some you know local concerns about the cycle lane going in and the reduced parking. How's that working out for you? Um, it's it's still affecting our business. I'm, I'm not going to lie; it is still affecting our business. Um, only yesterday, I had a man, and you know, you have to laugh at some of these things because you know there there were tears already around this. So, but this man said to me yesterday, and he's local. He lives in Glamour and comes down to us, and also supports uh, you know the local um, shops in in Glamour itself. And he said, "You should be outside on hunger strike. What they've done here is absolutely ridiculous." Um, but um, and, you know, I laughed him, and he said to me, he came into the shop yesterday morning couldn't get a space went back out and crossed the road and turned and did a loop to come in the second time and thankfully then got the space you know and but lots of people don't do that obviously and I said to him yesterday you know what I really appreciate you making the second loop you know um, and coming in so it is still affecting I, mm. I'll be very honest I you know I haven't been on about anything yet but I, I, am, I have been into the county council for, you know and had a meeting with the head of transportation only two weeks ago I've submitted you know a, a proposal and asked for a, a review of this um I still don't feel it's safe. And, and actually, interesting when you speak about the commodities. So one of the things I've highlighted to them is that we can now, we can't get gas into our building right now. So, for example, so the layout that they've left us with are, because we've had a problem now with a few of our suppliers, the ga- if, they, if the gas delivery was to park in the loading bay, they'd have to run the kind of, you know, pipe across wow, to fill okay. the tank. Which obviously they can't do that on the path because if somebody was on a bike and went over that or, you know, somebody walking or tripped or anything like that. So that can't happen. Yeah, I've got to leave it there, Kerry. I'm up against time for uh, bringing in the news in time and I'd like to do that. Uh, But listen, thanks and continued success with the many people you employ and in navigating the issues on cost and on access. Kerry O'Neill, owner of Fitzpatrick's Fine Food Store in Glenthorn. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. And some texts in on the uh, energy crisis and the cost uh, that are spiralling. To compare Guinness prices to gas prices is what economists uh, call a false equivalency. Yes, one glass should be €15 for alcohol. It's simple. It's better health-wise and better for the company as well. Zero alcohol and Coke and minerals, etc. should be €7 each. And chocolate should be very limited, or €10 each. Simply unhealthy stuff should be very costly and limited. Aren't winters always cold? So why are people panicking? Did we always have central heating? Use a fine, warm jumper and a quilt. And there's many, many more. Corporations and small companies will run out of pricing power before we breach that level of inflation. I would further envisage that this level of inflation will cause a total collapse of the fragile transfer pricing market. Sean O'Mahony joins us on line one uh, from the licensed premises of Ireland. Uh, good morning, Sean. Good morning, Mick. 
Now, you're working with uh, pubs and restaurants around Cork. Uh, we don't want you, of course, and uh, expect you to name those businesses, but you're trying to uh, provide solutions. No, I'm working with, sorry, I'm working with pubs and restaurants and hotels all over Ireland. All over Ireland, okay. Uh, yeah. But you're trying to provide solutions that are more cost-effective. Can you tell us about that? Well, I... Um during lockdown, I realised that my that, that my utility services that they had that they were that some of them were going, were going out of control because I was on a direct debit. Mm-hmm. And I realised when I started to check in my utilities that I could get better deals uh, because up to that um, before lockdown, uh, as you know, in our in the hospitality trade, we were too busy to to keep an eye on our on our on our on our out daily expenditure. So I set up a company called Licensed Premises of Ireland because I realised that um, the more pe- the, the, the more people that would be in my the, the, the more people I would have um, representing that we were going to save money. It was all about saving money. The more members I had on board, the better deals I would be getting. And uh, I do the cash management solution. I do the energy solution. I do merchant service. I do the commercial TVs, broadband, business mobile. I do what we'll be using on a daily basis. And I try and get the best prices for our members in relation to these businesses. Okay. In relation to all these utilities. Okay. Outside of the the energy, you know, the heating and lighting costs for uh, licensed premises, um, providing the, you know, the cable sports, if you like, is a very, very huge expense if they're trying to bring people in for sporting occasions. Would that be right? Correct, yeah. Very, very expensive. And there's no very, way very around expensive. that, really, is there? Well, we're dealing now with, uh, with, uh, with uh, a commercial TV company and uh, Virgin Media, and uh, we're, we're just um, getting up the, the ground with them, and we would expect that we would have savings. Okay. So what, what are the main problems that licensed premises are experiencing here in Ireland? Uh, the day-to-day running of our pubs. To open a pub on a daily basis, to provide electricity, merchant service, gas, you name it, we are not making a profit at the moment. Because the footfalls have fallen, which we all are aware of since COVID-19. We had... We, we had we had we had a, a very bad, bad bad July, a very bad summer overall. So we have to watch our utilities, what we are spending, what our outcome is, outcome is costing. We have to watch that, and this is why licensed premises of Ireland have come on board to make sure that my members are getting the best deals going forward because they haven't they haven't had the time or the resources to check it out themselves. And a texture says here yet in the rest of the EU, drink is fifty percent less. The reason drink is so expensive here is government tax and greed from pubs, is what the text says. Well, I don't know, how could you use the word greed from pubs when, 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 when our costs have soared dramatically? So I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't accept that at all. I would not accept that. Even if we get staff at the moment now, it's absolutely a nightmare to get staff at the moment. And if we're going to be closing our pubs, for three or four, for, for, for three or four nights in the, the, the week, how can how can we get staff get staff to turn up then for such for such short hours? We're in a crisis. We need the government to, to, to step in and give us some form of, of aid. What I mean by aid, 
that they that they will reduce the vet and they will talk to us on a reasonable manner because if pubs close, they won't be opening. Well, if they close, they probably never open again. Uh, no, so, so, they won't so, be opening again. Some of the price pressure points is the provision of, of visual sports. Uh, of course, all premises now need super fast broadband with, you know, with, with the ability for maybe 50 or 60 people to log in at the same time. Uh, what about card payments? A lot of pubs are, are taking more card payments now than cash. Yes, this is, this is, where, I, this is where, where I come in once again. We have a very good company that, that, that we deal with for, for card payments. And I think we're, we're, we're given the best rates out there at the moment that can be beaten. Now, I won't go any further than that because uh, businesses will have to contact me and I'll tell them exactly uh, the savings that they get. But there's massive savings in car payments. Okay, how much research did you put into all of this? It seems like a comprehensive package, Sean. Sorry? It seems like you have a very comprehensive package. I have a good package. I don't know what you asked me, what research did I put into it? It was experience. It was experience because I found out myself that I was being overcharged for these services and common sense prevailed and then I got experts that then I went around and I got experts to help me with this okay. but I realised myself before, before I went to these people that I was being overcharged and I mean by a major percent a major okay. percent and if, if I continued doing what I was doing in the past I would not be in business, in business t- t- today because the Americans now are so tight you need to look at your business on a daily basis. And unfortunately for, our, for the hospitality trade, we don't have the time or the resources to do that. And this is why I came in with a company called Licensed Premises of Ireland. Let's, let's look for a moment at cash management because uh, that can be another expense. And some pubs now are coming up with the idea of kind of, would this be the correct term, recycling their cash through uh, ATMs. In other words, yes. if somebody we're runs doing, out of cash, they can go to the ATM. Uh, that money then goes from their bank account to the pub's bank account, and the the amount of cash on the premises is less, so there's less security concerns, uh, and that may be another... Is that a profit centre as that, well for pubs? That, we, we, we're hanging in that situation. We're doing that, that situation with the cash management company, and we're dealing there with a company called Brinks, who, who will collect our money at the pubs? What it means, as you are aware of, uh, a pile of a pile of uh, banks, small banks closed down and big banks closed down, and the time and the resources take to lodge your money in the bank, and it is unsafe. Banks now will come to every pub in Ireland. I don't care how rural it is, how small it is. They'll come to, to every pub in Ireland, and they'll and they'll um, take the money for them of them, and that service is far cheaper than going to the banks. Mm. And of course, Brinks is a huge and reputable company in the, in, in the cash transit business. Correct. Uh, let's look yeah. at, uh, you, you also offer a digital ordering system. Now, a, a lot of, uh, it kind of annoys me sometimes actually, but a, a lot of restaurants and pubs, particularly abroad now, are not printing menus anymore. They're giving you a QR code on the table and it comes up on your telephone. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. We are, we are, we're going down that road in the hospitality trade because... As you are aware of, we can get to that. And it's in other European countries, the, 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 the digital coding. And if it will save in staff and if it will make things easier for both for the customer and the hospitality service, then I think it's welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other elements? What about, um, you know, Eamon Ryan would love this one, pubs running on solar energy? 
Well, if Eamon Ryan can, 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 can give me a budget for solar energy, I'd more than welcome it because energy is, is one of the major crises that we have in this industry because, as, as you're aware of, I saw there yesterday where, where um, um, it was um, um, uh, not a shop, it was um, food test. I think 10,000 electricity bill was for the last two months. Now, nobody could pay 10,000 euros in a small shop like that. Yeah, that was in the morning papers. Are, are many businesses yeah, shutting down around the country before you get to offer your services, you think? Uh, that is, I won't say, I, I hope they're not, but they are contemplating a shutting down. I'm talking, to, I'm talking to publicans on a daily basis, and they are very fearful of this winter coming. And I'm appealing to the government to step in and help us, because if we close our doors, some pubs will be closing their doors, be, that revenue is gone forever. And I'm asking, asking them now to ease back in the throttle and give us some forum, have a handout, or in, in the in the, the back especially, because if we're going to lose the, the, the rural pub in, in rural Ireland, then we're going to lose tourism. And that's the, the main issue. It's nice to go into, into any country and go into a rural pub and meet the people and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And if we lose that, then rural Ireland, I think, is it's, it's a sad day for rural Ireland. All right. Okay, the company's called Licensed Premises of Ireland, offering solutions in uh, in energy and other costs to the hospitality yes. industry. Uh, Shona Mahoney, great idea, great service you're providing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank okay, you very much. Cheers, bye-bye. Uh, so, some more text. In the rest of the EU, drink is 50% less. Uh, uh, why is drink so expensive here? Uh, send all the electricity bills to the Department of Foreign Affairs, says another texter. More people would probably die from energy poverty than would have died from carbon pollution. Uh, so that's kind of ironic. Uh, I think I have the solution. Just drink 25 pints of beer a night. You'll be too drunk to turn on the heating and you won't feel an ounce of cold says a texter. Uh, they could find money to pay for COVID, they could find money to bail out the bankers, and they could find homes for the Ukrainians in the middle of a housing crisis. Surely they can find a way to get these ridiculous prices slashed before a third Christmas uh, is destroyed. And one other texter said, I recently paid €9.80 for a non-alcoholic gin and tonic. John is on line two. Good morning, John. Hello. You reckon we're the most expensive in the EU for energy, yeah? We are. Uh, I only read uh, your team there, no, I, I was putting the challenge to them. I, I really didn't want to come on here at all, actually. But anyway, uh, why, why are we paying twice the price of France for electricity? Uh, in my opinion, it's all coming from the one source. We're, we're getting our, 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 our ESP from abroad. Yeah, we're getting a lot of ESP, uh, of our electricity from we're the French grid. Well, from the French, you're joking. And, and uh, France are paying 18 cents. We're paying 35, I think, uh, now here in August. It was 16 in January. And my last bill was 24 something. And I saw in the paper there the other day that it is going up or it is up to 35. 35, okay. So, so how, how, come, how come Ireland can't buy it cheaper? Well, we, we are generating through fossil fuels in various parts of the country. And we, uh, and we are God, generating yes, through solar and wind as well. So we're, we're producing yes, some so. of our own energy, if not, if not most of it. Nothing. No, 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 Mick. We're not producing the most of it at all. Uh, all of those windmills are all owned by, by foreign companies. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm just at the challenge now. Like, I'm here to be, be corrected on that. 
how many windmills has the Irish government, how, how much did they own entirety? They see they're saying they have an input into it. But how much of an input is it? They do not own these um, windmills 100%. But, but it's similar there again. Um, you know, raving on about the cost, the cost of everything going up and going up and going up. Uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the big people uh, involved in all that uh, is the Green Party. Because Mr. Green, you know, supposed to be all green, and he says, right, all the cars in the town and they're producing the people and the people are coughing. And right, we'll tax the diesel. Marvellous. That means every single van that's delivering, the diesel has gone up in price. So the, the, the delivery is costing more. Uh, you know the HGGs, John, Mick, mm-hmm. the big lorries? Yeah, my son drives one of them. He puts 400 litres a day into that truck. Now, in, in 2020, uh, there was uh, almost 40,000 HEGs taxed in Ireland in December of that. Now, there's a hell of a lot more of them on the road now. Now, this, this, this is what I was saying to the lads uh, in the team there that said, this is my challenge. I reckon that the, when Mr. Green put the tax of there's, there's 82 cents of the diesel. 82 cents of that price is tax. And even if the, it, it's a, oh, they have a funny word for it, even if the price comes down in the diesel, the tax won't. It'll still stay at 82 cents. So it's a so tax per litre rather, rather than a percentage of the at-pump cost. No, 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 this is, this is, oh God, I had a Mr. Wardner when I met. The tax on the diesel, regardless of the price of the diesel, is 82 cents. Now, this is my chance again, as I say. I reckon that over the 12-month periods on the HEGs alone, the government are getting 150 billion in tax. Million or no. billion? No, billion. 150 billion? Billion, I think. Now, this is, this is what I'm saying. I, I want them to come back and tell me that that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, they don't think it's wrong. Think of all, think of, 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 look, you know, Tesco's, they're delivering your groceries to your door. And last week, you know, it was, it was you know, diesel was whatever price it was. They're charging you, I don't know what they charge, a fiver. So they can't deliver it now for a fiver. But they, they, they're paying, you know, three times the price of the diesel. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, the, that, that's down to like, Tesco to, to amend their own delivery no, prices. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't mean to be talking about the uh, Tesco's now. I'm talking about the cost of diesel. If a farmer is producing his entire crop up in Donegal of potatoes and, and, and the, the supermarkets in Cork want to buy them potatoes, Look what is extra it is costing to bring them from Donegal to Cork. When you go into the supermarkets, of course the price of potatoes has gone up because the bloody diesel is a ginormous increase. Yet in Dublin last week I saw diesel for 181 and the cheapest yeah. I saw it leaving Cork was 196. That's 15 no, euro well, cheaper in Dublin, 250 miles from, their, from the oil refinery. Yeah. 250 well, kilometres at least. Yeah, correct. 
But even so in Dublin, 82 cents of that 181 was taxed. You know, yeah. and that'll never come down. Okay. And, 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 and the ob- obviously the cost of diesel is impacting everything in, in the supply chain. Uh, from Fitzpatrick's and Glanthorne and all of their ingredients going yeah. up. No, exactly. That lady was on a while ago and she was on about, you know, I, 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 I get killed at home because I'd be ranting mad. The, the governments over the years, all of them are to blame. And who is even bigger to blame are the oppositions. Because the minute they get the 30 pieces of silver, they're all dummies. There isn't a mill in the country. That brown flour that that lady was looking for down there in Fitzpatrick's, that flour has been imported. There isn't just all the sugar that's coming into is all imported. We had a massive glass factory in Dublin and within a week of it closing down, this government, it was government owned, they scrapped the thing quickly where they could be producing, you know, you know your glass windows, you see your, 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 those big blocks make all of recycled glass all being imported. We had a thriving sugar industry, which we have no more. We had, we had, we had, and they admitted within two weeks of the closing down those uh, sugar factory that they misread to the, the instruction from Europe and they needed to close them at all. Yeah, and, and the fishermen are saying not only are the quotas uh, oh, affecting them, but the, the massive increase yeah. in diesel. Uh, I heard yeah. of an Irish trawler going to a foreign country to fill up, uh, to reduce okay. the gamble oh. of even breaking even and making a profit. Oh, boy. A wise man, yeah, and having to travel all that distance. And and the way they're treated as well with their quotas is absolutely criminal. Absolutely criminal. But we're a very, very quiet na- nation. Where do you I see it all ending up, John? Where do you see this going? Oh, sure, I don't know. I, I, I'm a senior, an extra senior, so I don't, I don't know where this is going to. And, and the, the, the ESB metering and things as well, um, all the so-called deals, you know, people have been robbing. Because there's, like there, there's none of them, you know, this other thing, you know, they're, they're on now lately, oh, do all your washing of wear and washing of clothes at night. A couple of months ago, they were saying that's the most dangerous thing you could possibly do because there was a lady on national radio there that her machine caught fire in the middle of the night. There were several other people came on and everybody was saying, oh, good Lord, sure, nobody washes the things at night. It's very dangerous. I remember a time when I was at home and my father was going around the house unplugging all the plugs. Now they're advising people, you know, to go and use... Uh, electricity is nice, but that that and and that will be cheaper. It's only cheaper they if you've got the night saver meter. Yeah, but you must get an extra meter for that meter. Mm-hmm. And it's the standing the, the charges. The standing charges the going up oh, as well are only massaging are, are really what's gone they, up. What, yeah, what's gone they've up. gone up across yeah. the board, and, and that kind of but massages the. They, they can offer slightly lower unit prices, but in effect, uh, you know, if if you were to say standing charge zero instead of twenty quid. Uh, it, it really is a higher unit price charge. But the, the, the standing charge on the old meters was less than the standing charge on the new meters. Mm-hmm. How come? There was a time in the, when, they, when they started advertising the smart meters, the thing was they were going to be free. They were shut up very quickly on that because they weren't going to be free. And then they said that would be included in the bill. My last bill that came in here, 
uh, I was looking at it, and I think it was uh, 74 euros of it was tax. 74 euros, like wow. This. Yeah, and you, you see, people, people haven't time. Just like yourself, you go to work every day. I'm retired. They haven't time to be doing this. We're looking at bills and checking bills and seeing. I, I have I, never got a correct reading on my meter bill since they put in the new meters. They can't read them, Mick. Because I've been asking, and asking the sons of my daughters there, um, the son didn't know. His, his, his wife, I think, is text and to send, to send in the reading <laughs> every two months. Yeah, you, you, you get an email from some of the providers to go and look at your smart meter and uh, input by email. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so they can't read them. This was the whole thing. The big, big sale thing when they were rambling about the smart meters is that no more estimated bills. But they're still you estimating. Remember that? Yeah, there's remember? still people calling to read the meters. They're still asking no, by no. email to supply the meter reading, and they're still no. estimating as well. I, I've had experience of all three. Oh, Jesus, yeah, 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 yeah. John, but thanks like, for coming uh, on the air and for covering okay, the covered lot of thanks, ground there. Thanks, thanks very much for letting me out. Not a problem. But anyway, as I say, I, I didn't intend to come on the first place. Thanks, thanks for coming really on. Thanks and good luck. Cheers, good luck. thanks, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, now, as I predicted yesterday, coming back into government favour and back into the government fold, Dara Kaliri. A uh, guy who resigned over Golfgate shortly into his tenure has now been appointed as Robert Troy's successor as the Minister of State for Business Regulation. Dara Kaliri, uh, who resigned over Golfgate, has been appointed as Robert Troy's successor as the Minister of State for Business Regulation. It's 11.30. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. Now, we've got Steve Barry on line one. He's the Managing Director of uh, Dennehy's Health and Fitness. And uh, this is a particularly poignant day, I suppose. It's three years now since the fire at Douglas Village that ransacked several businesses, including Dennehy's Health and Fitness. A sad day, Steve, at the time? Yeah, it was very sad. Yeah, Matt, I think it's three years. It's um, three years. Uh, very hard to imagine that. Yeah, yeah. A lot's happened, I suppose, in the last three years. Apart from that, yeah, but three years ago today, yeah. Uh, you were at a West Ham match when it happened. You got a text then, I was, was it? I was. I was over in London. I was just on my back to the airport. I was flying back that night. And I got a phone call to saw one of the girls that was working at the time just saying that, their, that the alarm was going off and there was an issue out in the car park. So we, we, we had plenty of fire drills throughout the air so we knew what to do. So we just evacuated everyone at the time. Everyone got out safely, thankfully. Um, and I didn't realise kind of at the time the, the severity of it even until maybe the Sunday evening we kind of didn't know how bad it actually was, you know. We closed on the Sunday. We, we were hoping to be back open on the, on the Monday morning at the time, but obviously uh, things transpired a bit differently. But yeah, so uh, it's, it's like, it's like when, when COVID came first, we were all told to kind of uh, told stay at home for two or three weeks. Uh, exactly, pubs were closed yeah. for two or three weeks. <laughs> exactly, that was it. And that was what that, even even for the first few weeks. That's what we thought the case would be. That we tried to we looked at exploring different options of reopening and going into different entrances and stuff like that. Like, but I suppose it just the damage was so so vast and the rebuild was so big that it's just there was no goals on, you know. Yeah, of course, the entire centre had to close for a huge extended period of time. Yeah, massive. Yeah, yeah. I think it was it was fifteen months to the day that to we to when we reopened. So we closed on the thirty first of August. Obviously, it was the first of December two thousand and twenty. By the time we actually got the doors back open, now obviously COVID could have prolonged that a small bit. But um, yeah, it was a long fifteen months. Mm. So how, how did it affect the business? I know you've got multiple locations, or is it all franchised or what? Uh, no, it's all no, it's all the same business. Yeah, so we do. So at the time we had 
Douglas Ballancall again, Blackpool Open. So obviously we still have Ballancall against Blackpool. So or, or the way our model is is that if you're joined, if you're joined, then you're a member of all the of all the um, gyms, so you can train anyone. So a lot of our members would have used other facilities. Then of course it didn't suit everyone to travel to Ballancall against Blackpool, so we would have lost some members at the time. Um, so over the course of the next year, then kind of people transfer to other gyms or are they, they found gyms elsewhere? Do you know. Uh, the Ballancolic one, of course, is, is very convenient when you've got the motorway. Uh, it's not that, maybe 10 minutes further than uh, Douglas if you're travelling to Douglas. No, it's very close, it's very close. Like, I live in Douglas my whole life and I was a member of the Ballancolic before I ever worked in Denny's because of just, you know, go to the link road is nice and easy to get out for 10 minutes, you know. So it is very accessible. That was kind of our whole model to have one on the north side over towards the west side, um, the south side and now in the city centre as well since we, all, we opened our gym in Penrose Dock in June of last year. How many members you guys have now roughly, do you know? Uh, we're in at about 4,000 members between the four sites. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's building. So it's getting back there. It was obviously, we took a big hit. With the fire, we lost a lot of members. Then with COVID, I suppose, gyms were one of the biggest affected, you know, so we did lose a lot of members at the time. And it's been a slow rebuild, but I suppose we've had a clear run out the last 12 months since we opened last June. I know last winter there was you know, a few obstacles with the COVID passing, you know, there was a bit of uncertainty. But I think maybe February or March this year, it's really, uh, you know, you can see it kind of getting back to normality, which is great, like. Yeah. So it's a slow rebuild for you, but you're, you're kind of at the end of the, you're, you're on the corner there by the, uh, you're, you're in the Douglas Village crossroads really, uh, and you're up elevated third floor. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Why were you not allowed back in into the gym? Is it because, is it because no, all of the businesses were closed? Yeah, it was more of a safety thing, I think, really, because like the car park was, was a no-go zone. Obviously, they, they had to demolish it in the end, and I suppose the structure was damaged. Um, so like it was effectively a building site while they were doing the work there you know there was a health and safety as I said we explored every option trying to get open because we have an entrance down next to Marks and Spencer's on the street level you know it's on the road there mm-hmm. so we tried to try, try to walk away that we could our members could come in that way you know but it just wasn't feasible there was health and safety issues and there was insurance issues and all the rest of it so there was, there was no way around it really we just kind of had to sit and wait you know because the gym itself wasn't actually badly damaged we had smoke damage and there was a bit of a knock on from the, the actual fire but structurally you know, there was no there was no fire in the gym. You know. Yeah, obviously insurance is a big cost factor for uh, for gyms because you know you've mm. got you've got strong equipment and sprung equipment yeah. and people can do yeah. damage to themselves if they they don't know how to use it properly. But did that yeah. insurance cover your downtime and how did your staff get on during the closure? Um, yeah, so like it, it it didn't it didn't I suppose we had a, a very comprehensive policy with business interruption and contents and everything was covered, but. COVID through a span in the works kind of when that hit in March 2020 because we were closed and our, that was our, we had that 12 month policy uh, business interruption policy but I suppose when COVID hit then there was counterclaims and that, that you know there was an argument that we wouldn't have been open anyway so it wasn't the fact that the fire was COVID kept us closed so we had a bit of a battle for 12 months maybe 18 months you know um, it started now like you know we definitely didn't get what we would have been entitled to had COVID not struck but we, we got enough to get us back up and running, I suppose. And um, regards our staff, I suppose, unfortunately. And had to yeah, so if COVID hadn't had impacted on people's ability to attend, your insurance company were contending that you would have been, uh, you know, you would have yeah. been you would have been out of business anyway. Anywhere. You would have been yeah, closed yeah, down yeah, temporarily exactly. anyway. So that, so that it wasn't actually the, the cause of the fire, you know. And so we had a very long and lengthy kind of to and fro for, I'd say, 12 months with our brokers, our insurance company, loss adjusters, everything. Trying to, as, as, as many businesses did, I think the pubs were kind of in the same. Um, you know, thing with, with COVID, like all the, the other businesses in the centre, but um, it was just yeah, it was a lengthy process. But I suppose we got it sorted in the end. Not not to, not as much as we should have got, but we did. We got sorted. Yeah. Okay. 
So, uh, Douglas Village apparently were brilliant. I suppose the operating company there worked with everybody there to get back up. Yeah, I, won- I wonder if there's any other businesses who uh, might tell their story. They're welcome to contact us as well. Yeah, yeah. I know that the shops that were fantastic in fairness. Like Mark, the centre manager, was in constant contact with us, just keeping us updated, reading the building works, you know, and the love that we dealt with, you know, regarding reopening and all that kind of stuff and, and getting us back up on our feet. We couldn't have asked for more from them, really. It's been fantastic. You know, I suppose it benefits the whole centre for to get the business back up and running. So, um, no, they were fantastic. They were really helpful. Of course, parking is at a premium in Douglas and a lot of people use that car park, not just to shop uh, in the uh, in the Douglas Village Centre, but maybe to do a, a few errands as well around the village itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I live in Douglas, Nick, and everything. Like, for those after that fire, it's changed completely, you know, for 12 months straight after the fire that, like, I'd say there was businesses not in the centre were massively affected due to the loss of the car park, you know. It really did. It, just got, it was like a ghost down for the bones of 12 months. But it's fantastic now to see the new shops open in the centre all the time. You can see they've kind of redone the road work or the road layout down around there and it's kind of a tragedy to pass treatment again because it has been a, a tough three years since the fire and then obviously the, the, the 80 months of COVID after that, you know. Yeah, any idea what it cost you in total and losses? <laughs> I don't want to think about it anymore to be honest you know um, it's done like we're just looking forward now at this stage it was, it was massive obviously sure, like, as you say we were closed for 15 months initially and then we closed last January in 2021 for another 5 months due to COVID so it, it, like it's nearly incalculable what we actually lost but I suppose look we're still open we're still here we're back on again and that's the main thing we're really looking forward at this stage you know yeah yeah how many members did you lose or, or did the fact that you had two or three other gyms available to them uh, I mean, you didn't have to give any refunds or did you honour those or whatever? We froze all our memberships, yeah. So every membership, everyone had a membership Lucas, on the 31st of August, it was frozen. Obviously, if they wanted to use the other gyms, we, we kept it running, they could use the other gyms, but we froze every membership on the 31st of August and we didn't reactivate it until we reopened. So nobody lost any time or anything like that, like, you know? Um, and it's great, even the last the last six months, those members of Douglas coming back in that they haven't seen since before the fire, you know, it's great to see the familiar faces and they're kind of coming back in and it's just it's like it was three years ago again you know it's fantastic and so it was times over the last two or three years where I'd be talking to myself would we ever see it again you know with COVID and the uncertainty but as I said normally it's slowly coming back and it's brilliant yeah the, of course the multiple gym uh, ben, has been championed by Ben Dunn uh, ex of Dunn stores yeah. in, in Dublin and you can kind of wander around to any of those gyms you yeah. want as well it seems like a very yeah. viable business model uh, so all insurance claims are settled now you're in full operation again yeah 100% yeah we're back to business and and we've the fortune open since last June now in the city centre of Penrose Dock. So, yeah, it's all systems going on. And we're kind of looking forward to a great 2023, you know, full, a full year at it with no interruptions. And just getting back to business, getting back to normal. You know, I suppose the same as everyone else. Yeah. On, on the car park thing, there used to be those green and red lights there that allowed you to park for three hours. They seem to be gone, Yeah. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem to be an issue really. Like, you know, obviously, like most of our members will probably not be using it for, for long term shares anyway, so there was never an issue there. But to be fair to the centre, they're very, like, they have a very accommodating policy down there, you know. I, I've never, I, in all the time I've been working in the centre since we opened in 2015, if I've seen maybe two or three cars clamped, that's a lot, you know, and that's probably because they were there for weeks, so that's it, you know. Oh, really, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, 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 no, it's a, it's a very, like, they have a great system down there. Um, and as I say, it's, it's an asset to Douglas, the village itself, like, you know, so, um, and I think this, they realise that, like, so, in fairness, not a very good. All right. So onwards and upwards for everyone in, in Dennehy's health and fitness. Yeah, most definitely. We're looking forward to um, a good finish this year and a great 2023, mate. All right. Thanks a million. No worries. Good Cheers. Thanks. Yeah. You too. Uh, Steve Barry, Managing Director of Denny's Health and Fitness in uh, Douglas Village. And of course, it's hard. Lots has happened. Lots of water under the bridge. And they're thanking all their fantastic members and staff who uh, stuck with them uh, and are now stronger than ever with their motto, enjoy your health. But uh, 
Uh, you'd never expect a car to go on fire in a concrete car park with you and cause so much damage, uh, but it did, and it was all over the place, and of course the whole centre had to be closed down for an extended period of time. If you have any particular memories on that, uh, then please do get in touch with us on the programme. Now, family passes to give away today towards the uh, end of the programme. Neil has been giving away family passes to various Cork tourist destinations all throughout the summer, and there are still some left. Uh, here's what we're going to be giving away today. We've got a pass for Leahy's Farm in Dungourney. There are plenty of animals there, activities and attractions. Kids can enjoy the digger park, go-karting, the barrel train, and pet and feed the farm animals. They even make their own ice cream there, which visitors can try in the restaurant. So one pass for Leahy's Farm in Dungourney. We'll have, don't call us just now, we'll tell you when to call. Uh, two passes for Camden Fort Mar in Kinsale. Uh, Camden Fort Mar isn't a Kinsale though is it uh, internationally recognised as being one of the finest remaining examples of a classical coastal artillery fort in the world and visitors can take in the uh, amazing views of Cork Harbour and uh, learn all about the history of the fort that's a misprint not in Kinsale of course it's just above uh, Crosshaven you can go there uh, either side of uh, the bar at the corner there Cronin's Go along the lovely waterfront, past the Marys, as they call it, past the boatyard, take a, take a right up the hill and go left, and you'll be at uh, Camden Fort Mar. And of course, it's the triangulation of the three forts, Fort Carlisle opposite, and uh, Fort Mitchell on uh, Spike Island that made this one of the most protected and valued and valuable harbours in the world, it being the second biggest natural harbour in the world. It's also where that um, uh, army boot camp hell show I uh, don't watch it, but I think that was made there in Camden Ford Mar as well. And you can get uh, your family across with two passes to one of the finest remaining examples of a classical coastal artillery fort. And we have one pass for Leahy's Farm, two passes for Camden Ford Mar, and three passes for UCC Campus Tours. Now, this is suitable tour for all the family and showcases some hidden gems in the Cork City campus that general members of the public may be unaware of. You can go inside the Crawford Observatory, the Aula Maxima, the Ogham Stone Corridor, the President's Garden, the newly refurbished Honan Chapel, and many, many more sites along the way. But if you intend to be or are a university student, then a Apparently, you're not allowed to walk on where you shouldn't walk on the grass in the quad or you'll fail your exams. It's a big superstition that persists to this day. And you'll often see the uh, graduates uh, taking their first tentative steps on the grass in their robes because their education is over at UCC. But that's an old tradition there. So we're going to open the lines towards the end of the show today. So stay tuned for uh, when we do. You might get your hands on some of these fantastic family passes that we're giving away. One pass for Leahy's Farm in Dungourney, two passes for Camden Fort Mark in Sale, and three passes for UCC Campus Tours. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. Now to Jess Blake, who's on line two, saying, do not book this hotel. Hi, Jess. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, and you? Now, you said, unfortunately, you didn't do your research into the hotel, uh, but yes. uh, nobody could do research on uh, what turned out to be what you say is a robbery, yeah? Yes, so basically we're on our, we were on our third day, and um, we obviously got into a routine on our third day, and they were obviously watching us, and we didn't pick up on it. Um, but yeah, we came back from our breakfast, got changed, went down to the pool, came back up to get ready for dinner. And the way they left the room, you would think no one was even in it. It was perfect. And they literally searched every, where we'd hidden the money. They they found it. And 1,300 euros was taken. 
thirteen hundred euros. Uh, you, you know, yeah. You're 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 kind of saying that this must ha- be someone who had access to the room, are you? Oh yeah, um, yeah. We went to when well, obviously when I realised, I ran straight down. I didn't even look through anything. I knew straight away it was gone. And I ran down and they wouldn't even deal with me at the counter. They were just telling me, no, go away, go away from reception. And when the manager came out, basically said, the only people with access to your room is you and your partner and cleaning, like housekeeping. So I said, basically, you're saying housekeeping. So and she said, no, no, our staff is very trustworthy. And as time went on, we done our research on we were looking in uh, TripAdvisor speaking to locals and this hotel is known for it, like it is people's safes have been opened 500 euros, watches jewellery, everything has been taken from the hotel. Okay and how did you how did you get that research done? Um, so we looked on TripAdvisor straight away like once we kind of calmed down and like had like we were outside just panicking obviously and then saw these Four days ago, someone had money taken from this hotel um, in their room. So, like, then as we were walking around, we spoke to a few locals and it's it's known. This hotel is known for it, for the cleaners to come in and basically take it like it's their own. Okay, well, listen, thank you for not mentioning the hotel. And um, we better not at this stage while we do our own little investigation, I suppose. But you were very easily able to find out that this seems to be happening on occasion, or if not on a very regular occasion. In this hotel? Um, When we, they wouldn't actually deal with us directly and they made us go to the police Um, and it's obviously a different way of handling it over here so you must ring the police from your hotel and do a report over the phone first. Then you must go into the police station and sign that report for it to actually be activated. So what could have been a five minute drive for the police turned out to be like 40 minutes by the time we got everything sorted and actually got to the police station. Um, and basically got up there. The English obviously isn't great up there either, so we were using Google Translate to try and explain to them. But then, because of there's no CCTV in this hotel, and because of being cleaners, they basically explained that they'd wiped down everything before, so there'd be no investigation to be done because fingerprints would be cleaned cleaned away. Of course, if, if they're being very clever and they have access as cleaners, if that's who stole your money, then they would also probably wipe down every surface they touched. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, it wasn't a case that it was left to be seen. Like, we made sure, you know, it was, you'd have to go digging to find this. Like, it, you know, there were some days I was even like, where did I put it? You know, there it is. Okay, it, it's tucked away nicely. So they had to open my suitcase. They had to go through individual items to get to this money. And I'd say they were watching us for a few days. They knew our routine. They knew how long we would be out of the room. Um, you know, so they had they had us down to a T, really. Yeah, it happened to me once many, many years ago in Lanzarote. I don't think I've ever been back there since. Uh, and it was yeah, in a kind of a rented apartment. And it was on a kind of a third floor as well. And uh, went out for yeah. breakfast, came back, wallet gone, passport gone, the whole lot. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, you're kind of like, we're just the two of us here and it's our first holiday and we haven't been out of the country in five years. And we said we'd just go all out and really, like, you know, look after each other and have fun. And day three, it's all gone. We're just sitting in the room now because we've nothing. And you're, you're out there right now, are you? Yes, yeah, we're here till Saturday. We're stuck here till Saturday. 
Wow, okay. And with no money, and has uh, relations sent you over any money or anything? Yes, fam- family are trying to transfer money now to us and stuff, so hopefully we'll get back today. But you don't even want to enjoy yourself now after. It's just a shock to know that, you know, they know exactly what we have in the room, what we, you know, they went through everything. And when I went down, I was obviously in such a shock. I was crying and security was just laughing in my face, like just blatantly laughing in my face. And customers there, like just staring at me. No one, no one wanted to help. No one wanted to even deal with me. What did, what did the hotel management say? That they tried to accuse my boyfriend at the start. They said that I should be checking like that for situation first. So I was like, absolutely not. Like you know, we were together all day. He would like you know, like I can't even believe they even brought that up. But um, they basically said there was nothing they can do, and the police was the only one that could basically take a report. And as the police said, nothing they can do either. Okay, and was there a safe in the room? Yeah, doesn't work. And when we asked the lady's English was so bad she just said all safes work all safes but it's a key and when we asked who has the key they all ha- they have the key okay now I, I know they can deprogram safes uh, with a certain code but that's meant to keep your yeah, valuables it's safe code, it's not a code one it's a it's like a little it's basically just a normal everyday key well, so anyone could have access to that as well so not using the safe, no, we, you, you, you hid your money in what you thought was a safe place. How long do you think it would have taken yeah. them to find it? If they're good, 10 minutes, 15 maybe? Um, I'd say they knew it was, I'd say they probably checked and knew where we were keep. like, you know, probably didn't take it the first day because I'd say they were checking how long we would be and stuff, like what, what our kind of, like I said, I feel like they knew our routine to it. And it's probably our own fault too, having such a, doing the same thing every day. They were obviously watching and knew how long we'd be out of the room for. And to be honest, she'd probably get through it in 15, 20 minutes and be able to find it all. But if, if it was but a it, cleaner, it was, Jess, if it, if it was a cleaner and you and you disturbed them, you know, they could just say, oh, I'm just here cleaning the room service. Yeah. Probably get away with it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So like the we like to be fair, we've left the room very, very clean. Um, like it's the only thing they'd need to do we put our towels at the door and everything just for the simple reason we didn't need them coming in actually you know scrubbing the place it's actually been perfect so we thought you know close up the bag everything's at the door waiting for them all we needed was one fresh towel and we kept a little bag of our rubbish every night and we put it there so it wasn't the case that they needed to deep clean it was it's clean they went looking you know they knew what they were doing so what would be your advice for people intending to travel say to uh, Spain or the Canaries yeah. or whatever uh, as regards security of their possessions uh, honestly I would think like my biggest mistake is not doing my like I've done it with a, a company so it was like a, a package and I feel like that maybe was the wrong way to go about it I think you should probably be looking yourselves because if I had done the research it's literally right in front of you that it's you know that this hotel is known for it like it is you know they there's locals that don't even come here because of this reason like um it says it's four star as well, which was something that like we felt some bit confident with. We were like, look, it's not, you know, it's not the worst of the worst. So we, we, we'll be fine. We'll feel safe. And from the minute I got here, I just felt something was wrong. But I just made sure that everything was, you know, from what I thought, everything was safe and everything was put away. And um, that, that morning I literally left and I just felt something was weird. And I said, I better go back and check my wallet. And within two hours, I went back and it was gone. 
I know exactly the area you're staying in. Uh, I know the, one of Ireland's most famous uh, singers actually has a residence there. Uh, I won't mention the hotel name, I won't mention the resort, and I won't mention the singer. Um, but listen, are you going to get through until Saturday? Have you enough to get by on? I know you're, you're not coming yeah, on here looking for money or anything. You're just warning people. No, God, no, Jesus. Just warn people. Just warn them. Just because we made the mistake, and hopefully someone, you know, if they have the chance, if they've already booked it, that they could change it. And just, we have spoke to others. There's lovely hotels here. You know, it's not that every hotel is the same, but definitely just, just for other people just to be safe like you know you could have a watch there that means something to you and it's gone like that you know you've no you've no way of getting it back there's no help here there's no way of ever finding who took it you know we literally the cleaner that was in our room is right outside cleaning all day today happy waving at us like like nothing happened Uh. like absolutely nothing happened all right, well, do the best you can to enjoy what time you have left there. And, um, yes, thank you so much. And thank you for not mentioning the hotel. We'll, we'll try and get oh, in touch with them and see if... Uh, I know you probably will have and will do on social media, but that's, uh, let's not do it here just in case. We, we, we yes, need, we'll need to then give them yeah. the, a, a right to reply and they're going to deny everything, so it's really pointless. Yes. So, but thanks, no, Jess. Absolutely. Thanks a million. Thank Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right then, lines open on 0868... Sorry, 0818 One pass for Leahy's Farm in Dungourney. Two passes for Camden, Fort Mar and Kinsale. And three passes for UCC Campus Tours on 0818 Come and get them. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. And as we head towards news, thanks to our family pass providers, we're still compiling the winners. They're still ringing in, uh, but we are giving away one pass for Lee's Farm in Dungourney, two passes for Camden Fort Mar in Kinsale, and three passes for UCC Campus Tours. We'll give you the names uh, of all those winners as we kick off the programme tomorrow morning. My thanks to the programme's producers. We have Seamus, Kevin and Claire. little help from Mark Willington as well today, so my appreciation there. The lines will stay open on 0818-104-106 until about quarter past 12 and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning after the news at 9 o'clock. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.